back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, we're joined by another special guest. So Jen, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Jen Simpkins and it's very exciting to to be here and be listening to this happening live after listening for <laughs> a long time. <laughs> it's really cool to finally be here. It's taken us some time. Yeah, what a great honour. You're one of the first people I asked to come on and I feel like every six months I've kind of like politely hounded you mm-hmm. and then... It has eventually happened. You're just um, really not... dobbing me in immediately. I love that. I love that. <laughs> no, I think I'm dobbing myself in, really, for like not letting it go. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I try to give it like six months between like asking you. But like, um, no, it's really cool to have you on. So um, what's your sort of background, Jen? Tell us a bit about, um, you know, your sort of what you do now and what you've been doing previously. Yeah. I mean, so uh, these days I'm uh, Media Molecules Editorial Manager um, and obviously we work on the video game Dreams, which is sort of a, a creation game, much like uh, a lot of Media Molecules past output. Uh, and it's sort of uh, a job I pitched for myself where I was like, hey, there's loads of genuinely really cool stuff being made in Dreams. Do you want someone to come and, and, and write stuff about that for you, for people to read? Uh, and they went, yeah. So that's where I ended up doing that. Um, and I suppose, as you might imagine, before that, I was also writing about video games, which is how I know the both of you, because uh, I was at Future for a while, uh, at a couple of different magazines, writing about games there. Uh, so yeah, that's sort of my uh, official trajectory through uh, games media and then into uh, the games industry dev side. That's awesome. Yeah, so um, yeah, we wanted to have you on for a while because you, know, you have crossover with our careers and you've had a really interesting sort of path yourself um so it'd be really cool to hear about that so in this episode um we're going to talk a bit about uh jen's role in games media various roles in games media and um moving from official playstation magazine to edge and then um in the final section we'll talk about jen's work at media molecule a little bit so if you enjoy our magazine focused episodes jen's got loads to say on that front i'm sure oh yeah um I suppose I should ask first of all, Jen, um, Pokemon cards, is that like a new thing to you? Because I've seen you tweeting about <laughs> it. It totally is. It totally is. So what happened was uh, I've been sort of buying Pokemon cards for my partner and myself as just sort of like a little treat when you go into Sainsbury's because, <laughs> you know, you kind of get that hit of like, ooh, like pulls, like, you know, IRL loot boxes. <laughs> I was once, uh, for my sins, like a real Overwatch loot box person. Um, <laughs> uh, a fair few years ago, spending actual human mm. money on that. Oh yeah, it's it's embarrassing. Like I don't, I I, I can't go back there. But with Pokemon cards, <laughs> you're like, yeah, you know, maybe it'll be worth something someday. You, you justify these things to yourself. My partner's sort of been casually collecting for a little while, and I would buy him stuff. And then the other day, he was like, oh, do you want to actually sit down and play with one of these like pre-made deck things that they sell in the supermarkets? And I was like, yeah, that'd be really nice. And we did, and we were immediately like oh my god this is actually really fun (laughs) which is really weird because I'm not normally a a card game person or even a turn-based games person with some exceptions we'll probably talk about but yeah it's really interesting and and now like a bunch of other people at Media Molecule have sort of come out of the woodwork all of a sudden and we're all geeking over all of these like rules and plays and pulls from pokemon so yeah it's 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 a recent thing just pray for my wallet i suppose (laughs) have you got any special cards oh well i pulled uh so this is the funny thing when we're sort of in casual collecting mode uh my partner just like gave me one of these little booster packs they're called um and they've Mm. got uh, 10 or so cards in they cost like a few quid right 
uh, and he was like, oh, here you go. Like, you can have one of these. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I opened it and I got uh, this thing that is a is a rainbow rare. So it looks really, really like glittery and shiny and rainbow colored. <laughs> it's like Ice Rider, Calyrex, VMAX. Just, you know, just an unintelligible <laughs> string of words, as you might expect. It's like printing error or actually. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, so that is my that's my claim to fame really at the moment probably but Rosabelle uh, one of our programmers at, at Media Molecule pulled I think it was two like really rare Charizards and then on top of that a rainbow rare Charizard the other day so she's winning oh, <laughs> nice so that would eventually put someone through university oh yeah I mean yeah. like I said to her I was like you need to like retire on your Charizard fortune and move to Hawaii they're going up on like eBay for like upwards of five hundred pounds, it's ridiculous. Oh wow! wow. <laughs> yeah, it's one, crazy. one day that'll be me with my Borderlands three top trumps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. One day that'll be me with my Battleborn promo set, my eight <laughs> Battleborn promo sets. That... <laughs> now that is now that is optimism. <laughs> Can't believe we're already on to Battleborn. This is a record. Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a stealth Battleborn podcaster. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Get um, get get rich on, wasn't it? Uh, rich was like a not so secret battleborn believer I oh really i didn't know this yeah i think he ended up writing a, a article on kotaku about it sorry big tangent but i remember him was it rich am i bit hmm i remember garen as well do you remember garen yeah, yeah, yeah. garen was a huge battleborn guy because <laughs> whenever i met him i was like man how the mighty have fallen <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'm maybe i'm projecting onto rich and he's gonna dm me when he hears this yeah and be you like... do remember them if you ever meet someone who's a genuine battleborn head, right like, it kind of wow. sticks with you kind of sticks with you yeah. i kind of get the pokemon thing jen i found that post 2020 i just need things to like throw time and money into like like yeah. a hole and mm-hmm. like that that will probably equal pleasure at the end of it but um you know <laughs> there's it's no like way a to kind be sure sunk, yeah it's a sunk cost <laughs> fallacy thing but it does sound genuinely wholesome as a kind of hobby to take up um, yeah you know, in adulthood like it sounds lame but it's it's really amazing how quickly it's gotten us away from you know screens <laughs> which we spend a long time on and uh you know we'll go entire evenings just playing it at the moment and like we're just really into it and it, it means we're actually not looking at a screen for like the remaining eight hours of the evening or something which like sounds like a real you know <laughs> probably like an uncool thing to say but i don't know it's it, it's it's helping i think it's nice um so which games did you uh grow up playing and what informed your sensibilities when you were younger and getting into games it's such a weird mix and i like i feel like maybe this is the case for um, people like me who grew up with older siblings because you kind of get their hand-me-downs um, or, you know, whenever they stop playing with the Game Boy or the PlayStation for, like, a second and you're like, oh, it's my go. And, you know, what have they got? I have two, like, much older brothers, really. Um, and so I would sort of play their, like, cast-offs. And I was really trying to think, I was like, what was the first video game I ever played? I can't decide, I can't remember whether between the two, but they were both on like Game Boy original, like the big fat gray one. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was one, I I think it was Paperboy 2. um, (laughs) uh, And the other one that I can't remember if I've played before Paperboy 2 or not is something called Fortified Zone which oh, wow. may be an incredibly deep cut, but it was almost like a kind of, like a very basic sort of 
I suppose you say like Metal Gear Solid kind of aesthetic, like kind of like industrial run and gun kind of thing through these quite like maze-like levels. I have really strong memories of it. I'm not sure it was that good a game. Um, <laughs> but uh, And I found it really difficult, but I remember playing a lot of it, you know, uh, in the car primarily. I think that was like my first introduction to video games. And then we got a, a Game Boy Color and uh, a, a PS1. And so I was allowed to play some of those as well. I think I played, there was like a Batman game on the Game Boy Color, which I think may have been one of my first exposures to Batman as a concept, which is I kind of... going to say Color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First time I ever truly saw Color, you know. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so like, like a weird mix. And then there was like a Tom and Jerry licensed game on that as well. All sorts of weird shit, basically. And then the PS1, of course, was like, I was a Harry Potter kid back in the day. Not anymore, for obvious reasons. They had the sort of EA's license game games on, uh, on PS1. I think the PS2 is where I really started exploring some stranger things. Uh, and also, that was my first exposure to fighting games as well. Played a lot of Mortal Kombat Deception when I wasn't <laughs> supposed to, because I was about... 12 or something <laughs> i feel like um game boy uh bundles in the 90s were responsible for smuggling a lot of weird shit into british houses like i yeah. feel like that was very much a thing that happened like there was a bun there was a packet of fortified zones somewhere in like <laughs> Russ, and then they just had to shift them so um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah it really had that vibe of just like really not much going on for it very like I, th I yeah just very sort of cut and dry like running around and trying to shoot baddies with a gun um but like again when it's like your first video game you're just like fascinated by it and trying to get as far as possible uh and that's it like no one really has a read on these things like you don't really have it's not that you don't have critical faculties but you like you don't even appreciate that there is a range of quality like games are games yeah. when you first encounter them mm. so i think everyone's got like a yeah tom and jerry license game somewhere <laughs> in there and in your head you're like yeah, this is what games, you know, all games are this, all games are, you know, Bart versus the Space Mutants for me, the Terrible <laughs> Simpsons game. Um, or like, my brother had uh, Small Soldiers, the film oh. tie-in on Game Boy. Um, License like games. Yeah, very fond of that time. Some of them had awesome music and weird little things that sort of stay with you forever. Yeah, yeah. definitely. A lot of Lots of like redeeming qualities in amongst like quite a lot of shite but there would be certain elements that like you really oh my gosh whoa i just had a flashback to it. i played loads of like the ducktales game that was on oh, yeah i think original game boy yeah wow and you would like pogo around and collect little ice creams to increase his health and <laughs> uh, you know and the the first screen is like a little midi version of the, the theme tune i think you went to the moon at one point yeah that's a duck, duck as you go to the moon i've played yeah i've definitely played the NES thing, I can't remember the handheld one, but um, it makes sense that there's like, such a thing. Yeah, I feel like maybe a lot of it is your parents sort of maybe recognising properties like that and just being like, oh, yeah, like DuckTales for the kids. Like, that's yeah. a thing. Um, this can't upset them and this can't be violent. Like, that's <laughs> the kind of yeah. thinking, really, of a parent. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. God knows how Mortal Kombat Deception got in there. It, basically, my much older brother had it for PS2. And I would literally, I still don't know whether my parents know I did this. I think I eventually told them. I would just sneak upstairs to his bedroom because I was so obsessed with playing it um, and, and sit there and 
you know, play as much of it as I could, basically, before they sort of started wondering where I was. And I had to <laughs> sort of hurriedly shut down the, the PS2. Um, and I remember being really frightened slash aroused by Melina, I think. I think I think she was like my bisexual awakening. Uh, which is like, this lady with like terrifying teeth. I, th- I, I remember being really like scared of her win animation where she would just like cackle at the camera and you can finally like sort of see under that veil she's wearing. She's got um, like a crocodile mouth type thing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. horrifying. And I was I knew I was terrified of it, but also I like couldn't stop playing as her. Um <laughs> I would always play as the women, obviously. I just you'd gravitate <laughs> to that. Uh, and obviously I'd I'd maybe uh, you know, related to this horrible crocodile mouthed evil <laughs> woman. But yeah, and like, you know, just sort of being strangely attracted to her as a sort of an early teenager when you're sort of getting a bit Ooh. hormonal, I suppose. I'm, Jen, I'm guessing this is, this is not a horny podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. We'll we'll move it away from Melina's talk of Melina's uh, you know, copious underboob. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing this never made it into a time extended match, uh, Jen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, so, for some reason, you know, the uh, the old boys wouldn't go for the pitch of uh, how Melina was my bisexual awakening. Um, not very edge, they said. Uh, yeah, so like there was a lot of stuff like that that I think was sort of a result of just having older brothers and playing what they were playing. Uh, mm. I used to sit next to my brother um, and watch him play hours of, uh, what was it Medal of Honor? I can't remember which Medal of Honor game it was, but it was basically my job to sort of point out where the, the med packs were. Um, and that was sort of how I could get away with watching as if I was sort of playing with my, my brother and I wasn't playing yeah, it with like myself. A, like a real medic on Yeah, Omaha right? Beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just run over there and like maybe you'll find <laughs> you, you know, I know you're bleeding out, but you know, make an effort. It was uh, PS2 where you first start like forging what your game tastes were. Did that come a little bit later? What was your first kind of like format where you were picking the games and you know what you liked, I guess? Yeah. Oh, that was definitely DS. I think. And by the time I'd gotten to DS, I'd also been exposed to the PSP. So yeah, there was like PS2 and then my brothers had a PSP, but they were playing boring shit like oh god I can't even remember probably some form of FIFA that I just wasn't interested in <laughs> I briefly had like a, a football manager phase as a little one because I just liked playing with my brother um, and he was into that um, but uh, my friend Jenny uh, actually she's a, a, a developer now um, at school she had a PSP I didn't have my own one I had to share it with my brothers but she would bring it in and we that was actually where I like first played Loco Roco And I think that was the first game I played where I was like, this is kind of, you know, the start of my taste. Um, And maybe some of the weirder stuff on like PS2 as well that I was starting to get hold of via friends, Mm. like the more indie stuff. And so I think because of that, I can't remember exactly, but basically my mum bought me a a DS Lite one Christmas when I was, I must have been about 12 or 13. It was a black DS Lite. It was beautiful, beautiful machine. And she got me, she has no idea about games. So she got me Mario. She got me new Super Mario Bros. Classic. Um, yeah, so good. I, I like. I played so much of the versus mode with my friend Vicky at sleepovers. We, we would just go forever just fucking smacking stars out of each other. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, so I got new Super Mario, Mario Bros. Uh, and she also bought me something called Animal Crossing. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, obviously just going, oh, this looks cute and kid-friendly. And I became obsessed with Animal Crossing Wild World. Um, and 
yeah, that was me being like, oh my gosh, what is this amazing kind of real time thing and these like strange little characters that would kind of make friends with you but also like berate you and it was sort of an extension I suppose of how I used to like play as a kid with like dolls and Lego and stuff Mm. where like a lot of it is sort of down to your imagination and you know I would like spend a long time just walking along the beach in that game and just like vibing out um (laughs) and uh, yeah as you guys like know because you know me I think that like definitely began a lifelong love of like that game <laughs> mm, <laughs> and the mm. Nintendo games more broadly but yeah like I've clocked uh, probably over probably about over 2000 hours between like all the Animal Crossing play- games I've wow. played like just big you numbers I've seen every line that is in I've, that game I really feel <laughs> like I have <laughs> Does there come Uh-oh. a point where those characters stop being characters and just become you know, you just see them as content clusters. <laughs> Wild World, absolutely not. Like, I have I think I must have played about 700 hours of Wild World, I think it says on my DS time, because you can track. And they just kept coming with new stuff, and it was amazing. And New Leaf was very similar. I've played 850 hours of New Leaf. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, and, and New Leaf was... Uh, no, New Leaf was similar-ish, but I remember being quite disappointed that there just wasn't... There was a lot more dialogue reuse than there was in Wild World. Mm. Um, and then, but they're all great, great games. And like, again, like the new Animal Crossing, a great game as well, but probably again, like even more kind of cardboard <laughs> characters from Wild World. Um, mm. But yeah, so I've, that's probably the Animal Crossing game I've played the least amount of hours in, even though I've played a lot. <laughs> mm. But it's, mm. it's, it's a great game. I think I just, I think we all got maybe burnt out on that after pandemic <laughs> yeah of course and like um, like you say you're maybe the right age when wild world hit for it to mm. like for you to fill in the gaps a bit with your imagination you know maybe that is um yeah a, a key part of it yeah I like i think you know i played with like dolls and you know i still play with lego um but you know i played with that like uh, that kind of stuff like really right up and until my early teens and uh, and so it yeah it felt like that kind of like entry ramp into sort of video games that sort of like transition um, like a really useful one and then ever since that and specifically just the DS and DS Lite and you know my my core friend group had them at school and we would play stuff together and Mario Kart like ever since that it like became a really big thing for me Phoenix Wright I would beg for one every Christmas and then I would just sit and uh, play the entire game on like Christmas Day and Boxing Day and not talk to my family <laughs> Oh, amazing. Um, what a great way to spend a Christmas. Uh, literally heaven. I would sit there and just like, <laughs> you know, eat my Toblerone or whatever and just just oh. solve crime. It was This is absolute... really, you've oh. just described heaven to me. <laughs> it really Ace was. Ace Attorney in one hand, Toblerone in the other. <laughs> you even identified the, the perfect snack. The perfect combo. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. yeah, I think there's a reason, you know, we vibed over the years. With you. Uh, we've, you know, really have some, we share some core DNA, I feel like, <laughs> somehow. Obsessed with that to the point where, like, for a long time, I thought, I'm going to be a lawyer when I grow up, uh, before, you know, some lawyers came into school to talk about what it's actually like. Uh, and I went, actually, that sounds boring. Yeah. And and when is it their hair explodes? <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, so uh, that was very disappointing to learn the truth of that. I very yeah. nearly went and did a law degree. I, I literally it was about seventeen before I discovered the truth. It was a, it was a sad day. <laughs> wow, oh, I'm um, sorry to hear that. 
Yeah, um, it's okay. <laughs> well, Law's loss was uh, games journalism's gain. <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, and like, oh, just I could I I could talk about the DS Lite for ages. I think that was like really the. It's such a weird piece of kit that like so much weird stuff came out of it. So many weird games. I just remember like begging my mum one Christmas. I I can't remember where I'd seen something about it, but I'd heard about Electroplankton the Toshio oh, Uwai game. And I begged my mum to like import it from Japan, like begged. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I was about 14 uh, and got it and was and just became obsessed with it for ages. So yeah, I think that was like the genesis of developing my own taste and then being like, oh, like I, I have things to say about these things, <laughs> maybe. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Like, it's a perfect era of like um, the pound being strong against all other currencies. And <laughs> yeah. also like the DS being region free. Those two oh, things yes. are a good combination, you know. Yes. Like that was su- that unlocked so much for me. I think that was like the real genesis of like my my taste in sort of like indie games uh, like and experimental hardware, I think, to a point. Obviously, it's a very, you know, Nintendo version of it but you know just like shit like blowing into the mic in ds games and stuff or like you know yelling objection into the ds for uh like phoenix right i just found endlessly sort of entertaining uh and interesting and even you know touch controls was kind of like a big deal like in the ds era and i think touch phones were just starting that was the advent of like touch screen phones as well so uh yeah i think that sort of like kicked off a love of just sort of like weird handheld devices that do like unexpectedly magical things. There was another uh, Japanese DS game. It might have been a DSi game, but it used the camera to track your face to essentially render this kind of like uh, like doll's house scene in 3D. And it was like a hidden object game where you just sort of have to crane around, like, you know, hold oh, up your DS. Yeah. Do you remember that at all? I, I, yeah, I do know what you're talking about, but the name absolutely escapes me. Yeah, uh, I just remember that it was a hidden object game and I, I was just mind blown because obviously this was like before the 3DS came out and it, and it was using that kind of stereoscopic effect via the camera and I just remember thinking it was absolute magic. And I, I just love tiny things and uh, miniatures and dioramas anyway. Um, uh, yeah, I remember that sticking with me. Wish I could remember the name. Someone, uh, someone listening, <laughs> tell me what it we'll, was. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. We'll find out what it is. And then, yeah, um, yeah if you look in the podcast description, you'll find out right now what the uh, <gasps> Doll's House head tracking game is called. So, um, yeah, that's the magic of um, researching okay. after the episode is done. So that's good. <laughs> um, so what made you want to write about games for a living, Jen? Did you always want to work in games media? Or did it? Um, is that something that happened later after the lawyer thing kind of blew up for you? Yeah, it was kind of, you know, the, the whole the whole lawyer re- realisation. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, crap, well, what shall I do now? And I was like, well, the only thing I'm really good at is, um, like, English. You know, I was always very encouraged in school by my teachers being like, oh, yeah, you're really good at this, like, English thing and, like, criticism of literature and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I guess I'll do that because I don't really know what I want to do. Like, I definitely didn't. I, I was, I was sort of, you know, uh, getting get the occasional magazine before I was going to university and reading bits of OPM and stuff like that. Um, but I, I'd, I'd never really thought of it as an option, even though I was like, obviously reading people who were doing it. Uh, so I went to university and I did English literature, and you know, that essentially is is all criticism. Uh, and I think about halfway through uni. I just, 
I just had this moment of clarity of like, oh, you know, I'm reading Kotaku and I'm buying magazines and like this is a job that people do and maybe I could do it. So then I just immediately was like, right, I'm I'm going to do everything I can. Like, funnily enough, I think the lawyer thing was an interesting part of it because I realized that what I was interested in about Phoenix Wright wasn't the legal bit. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm just like really into video games. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, maybe I can think more deeply about about like why that is. Um, So, yeah, about halfway through uni, I just threw myself into a bunch of extracurriculars um, and I went to uni in London. So that was fortunate because it was kind of the epicenter of like a lot of like hobbyist blogs uh, were run by just like people from London. Uh, I joined this hobbyist blog site called 16-Bit Kings, uh, which was like a super cool name. And then they changed it for some reason to Vexoid. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like so much. Yeah. 16-Bit Kings. RIP. (laughs) Maybe they thought it was like more general, but like they were a great group of people. They were just, they were just like mates, just like hanging out, being like, oh, we could do a blog together, you know? And it was all strictly just voluntary. I think that was the same year I joined Twitter, RIP. Um, <laughs> and and I, I was posting on my own incredibly bad WordPress blog, all sorts of nonsense. And they'd found it and gone, oh, like, do you want to come and like write on our blog and sort of be part of like our little collective? And I was just thinking, yeah, like, you know, it's all stuff to put on my CV. There was another thing called like, uh, I, I don't know, I still to this day, it looks great written down but i don't know how to say it it's like ind 13 magazine it's like indie but with like a 13 oh, I see. yeah uh, <laughs> bad mouth feel um but like a great <laughs> a great little magazine that was you know really dedicated to kind of the indie side of things which was what i was really really interested in so i just started doing a bunch of stuff like that you know it was all unpaid and just for you know like practice kind of yeah and then i uh, basically one of the people in in our in our vexoid group was like here's i think posted on facebook and was like oh look there's a staff writer role open at opm like you know a- anyone in this group should like definitely think about applying and i did uh, and that's how i ended up there wow yeah that's Wonderful. amazing um did you um uh, attach like a writing sample to get it or anything like that uh, jen yes how, um, yeah yes i did so um the game, they asked you to review a game in uh, a certain amount of words, just like a very short review. Basically like the the clag length review. The, like, I, I don't know if you've talked about clag on this podcast or if that's a thing that extends past OPM. Uh, I don't know the word clag. Do you, Matthew? No, but I sort of know what you're talking about. Do you? <laughs> yeah, it's like the word clag, obviously. It's very evocative. <laughs> just like generally, yeah. if you look it up, it's really like not complimentary to what those reviews no. were. <laughs> Um, which were like they were some of the best and most fun reviews in the magazine but we sort of used to colloquially refer to them as clag sorry freelancers um uh which is kind of just the little bitty bits basically so they'd be like the very short basically third of a page reviews uh that you would do for maybe like smaller games typically indie games is where they get shoved in as an afterthought um uh so yeah so they asked me to sort of write a review of that length uh, on any game I'd played recently. Uh, so I actually did the swindle. Uh, um, if you know of it, it's uh, uh, sort of yeah, damn that's middle game-ish sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's that sort of procedurally generated house robbing thing, right? 
Yeah, exactly. It's really interesting. And there are a lot of like really interesting little design choices. I, I think I had like spent some time talking about like how like the 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 torch is a really interesting mechanic or something. I don't I can't remember now. It's been yeah, two hundred words. I know, I know. <laughs> well I just threw in like a couple of those little things, but yeah, oh. my God. I don't God knows how I did it. Because since then, famously I've never been able to stick to a word count. So <laughs> um so yeah, I remember doing that and I think I, I gave it a seven, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is probably like I I wonder how many reviews like people get for writing samples where they where they come out with like they're like oh, I'm gonna pick my favorite game and give it a nine or a ten maybe the seven yeah. helped now yeah, I look back and I'm lot. like wow the equivocation score I really set the tone for my career as a journalist but um <laughs> as a critic but uh yeah I wonder whether maybe that stuck out that I picked something that I yeah. was a little more cool on maybe like honestly when we were reviewing I mean this was back in the days when everyone wanted to be a staff writer in a magazine you'd get like <laughs> hundreds of applications but the choice of game someone picked to write about for their sample review was often as important as what they actually wrote because it just told you a lot about their like mindset or the scope of their experience i guess and we used to get the one the ones that used to kill me was so many people would review the telltale games oh wow and talking about them purely as narrative experiences so they were always more like film reviews than game reviews and it was it killed it killed so many applications like to the point where you you joke on the job advert we should say please write this do not review a telltale game because (laughs) we've not yet employed anyone who has done that i don't think we've even interviewed anyone who's done that so oh wow i think it's so easy to fall into that trap especially when you're new to all of it of just recounting the game um yeah if you're a bit nervous yeah Yeah, i I get that Uh, there's a strong i i remember the period you joining because it was like we had a there was like an influx of people, it's tends to happen at Future. Like people seem to come in like generations. Mm. So I remember you joined at the very similar time to Ben Tyra on OPM. Yeah, the exact and same time, in fact. The exact same, time, right? Yeah. The same, yeah, process. And we hired Tom Stone on OXM at a similar time. I think Robin joined GM around then as well. Yeah, I think Robin. I want to say Robin might, might have been there just before we arrived. Yeah, but mm-hmm. either way, there was a definite like like influx of like mm. fresh meat you know you're like oh this is this is sorry that pretty sounds weird you know like in terms of like oh this is cool you know a, a new batch of like interesting staff writers and i always i always really enjoyed that you know I, I was part of a group myself at one point so to see it sort of i was always quite fond of it happening yeah it was really lovely and like i mean like especially me ben tom you know like we're all still really really close us like a <laughs> clutch mm. of little stuff writers that's, that started at the same time and you really you really sort of go through the trenches together like i remember you know we would just use to pull stupid hours doing freelance you were right to say fresh meat because we would arrive all you know shiny eyed and then immediately it would be like the editors would descend and be like right freelance 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 (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and we'd be like oh and you'd kind of I just remember you know saying yes to everything because I was so excited that you know all of these like heroes essentially were like coming to me and be like oh yeah you want to write something um and yeah my goodness I mean it was the way that you just learn really quickly heroes is very generous (laughs) well you know (laughs) <laughs> to us we it's were not just like, like it's not like you're you've newly joined the justice league <laughs> and then superman and batman are like hey 
Do you want to write wanna, a clag? Do you want to review a 100-hour JRPG for 20 quid? <laughs> oh, God. I feel like I got off lightly in comparison to... This, like, I feel like Tom always had some sort of like massive thing on the go. And I would be like, probably pretty quickly and cannily worked out that like indies were shorter. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, I also did my fair share of, you know, Sniper Elite previews and... <laughs> But, just... that, but that's so you, Jen. I mean, <laughs> that's come on. so me. I mean, you can always find like a fun little angle that's exciting. And I the mean, through line, Loco Roco, yeah. Animal Crossing, Sniper Elite. <laughs> it's there. Sniper Elite Four. I remember, like, for some reason, that just sticks in my brain. I think I spent a long time writing. I think I might have had to do that thing where you do like three different previews for people, and so you're just oh, yeah. racking your brain. Like, how do I not write the exact same thing? Yeah, <laughs> about a game that I like really probably don't have <laughs> enough knowledge about, um, but just you know create a great reading experience somehow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pack it, pack it with jokes that are later cut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, which games ended up defining your era on APM, Jen? I remember the Persona God. Five cover seemed like a big deal at the time. Um, it was right as that series, interest in that series in the UK or Europe was spiking. But like more generally, I suppose, what um, what do you when you reflect on that time, what what defines it for you? It's really cool you bring up the Persona cover because uh, that felt like a big deal to me too, and it it kind of was. I think we had the uh, first, I want to say the first exclusive review in the West, which was kind of wild for like a UK print uh, magazine. And I somehow just managed to blag it. Basically, I, I was at E3 and I played the demo. And it was fucking amazing. I remember being excited about it. And I hadn't really been like into Persona much before. Um, I think I tried a bit of 4. Um, so I remember Matt Sakuroka Gilman, who was on Games Master, was like a really big fan. And so for a while he was sort of getting me hyped that like Persona 5 was coming over here and he was like oh but look how like stylish this is and like I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff um so I ended up getting super excited and made an appointment to see E3 and I think the PR at the time was um John Harden yeah he's a really cool dude basically um and he I think he was quite revered by like the sort of community around Atlas games uh, I think there's a real heartbreak when he when he left Atlas and, and moved on but yeah he was sort of manning the E3 but booth and I remember playing the demo and be like oh my god like that's incredible that's incredible um you know what can we do can we can we work on it and I I think I think maybe we had our first conversation at E3 I was like oh this would look amazing on a magazine cover like it just would right and and so I went back and I remember sort of floating this idea to sort of the editorships at the time and uh, and and sort of the, the big dudes of, of future right well you know the other big dudes that went you two, the two big men who play Elden Ring. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of like we weren't as big back then. Back then, we were moderately sized. You've only you've only grown in power uh, since then. Uh, you know, every new patron adds like a centimeter onto your height. That's what I feel like. Uh, more like my waist. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's that. very generous of you to pretend it's height, <laughs> Jim. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So I remember sort of floating it as a cover idea and being like, oh. John says he might give us the exclusive. And number one, it was a bit like, eh, is that really going to happen? And number two, like as you say, Sam, like I think Persona at that point hadn't really taken off, I guess in like a quote-unquote mainstream way in the West. Like obviously Persona 4 was beloved by so many people, right? But like I guess it was still a bit niche. 
Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think it was bigger in America than it was in Europe. But like, yeah. still, yeah, still, it was waiting to break out, I would say, you know. Yeah, and it felt like Persona 5 did that. And I, I sort of got a vibe that, like, if I could be this excited about this, like, essentially, you know, turn-based Pokemon anime game, um, like, maybe other people would be too. But, yeah, I remember the idea of the cover being, like, really unpopular uh, at, at Future mm. and being like, no, we can't put that on the cover uh, I think Matt Pellet was in the process of like moving on to his next job. He was the editor at the time of the OPM. Yeah. And I, I, I remember it being like dismissed, but we sort of did it anyway. I think the, the compromise that we had to do and that John Blessing agreed to was that we would put it on the full cover, but it would be in a cardboard wallet. And on that cardboard wallet, there would be three other PlayStation games because we couldn't do... <laughs> full persona secret shame yes like hide we want to do the cover but we are embarrassed by it hide joker away i don't know if that's a tactic that anyone else did where you you know if you kind of have to appease the higher ups where they're like ah we're not actually confident this will sell (laughs) on the newsstand right okay (laughs) (laughs) all the time that happens for sure yeah (laughs) yeah so but like i can understand because i think it was like you know my my first big cover play essentially where i had Mm had a relationship with you know the PR and like built up a sort of level of trust and like oh you know talk to him about like how it would be good for them as well as for us and and yeah it was kind of like a wild swing on that one but I just had this funny feeling about it. I literally had no involvement with making covers happen until I was like an editor after six seven years or something like you were so crazy on top of your game like from the off it's what it's like it's still wild to me (laughs) you know I was given quite a lot of opportunities quite early on being able to go to stuff like E3 and and events like that and that is really you know where those conversations happen frank and honest conversations with PRs where you you sort of talk about your uh like each other's kind of like goals for like a release if you're both ended up excited about it um and and really make that stuff happen so like I was really privileged really that I was given quite a lot of trust to go and you know represent something like OPM Mm. at these events um, and make those connections. And I think that really like set me on a path where I was just able to keep that up. Um, Mm. You know, Mm. I think my whole, my whole career, I've been super excited about getting a gut feeling about stuff and then being like, right, how can we sort of like use this platform we have to like really make a a splash uh, about Mm. something I like believe in. Um, Magazines are great for that. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's like a proper editor's instinct thing for sure um yeah, hope so. my memory of my me- my memory of um you playing persona 5 as well as you played it so so quickly um oh god like <laughs> an absurd an absurd time frame i just remember you mentioning it in the office um yeah what was that like oh mad so so basically it ended up that by the time code came in you know nice and early because of the way uh, you know, print times work. I had about a week to play Persona 5 and it was weird. The only other thing I did that with with for OPM was No Man's Sky and that was equally like just surreal, just like 12 hour days just trying to play this thing. I was lucky on Persona 5 because it had already released in Japan 
And so there mm. were kind of guides on the internet that had been sort of partially translated by people already. That game is sort of full of sometimes quite arcane like puzzles and uh, with all the, the different sort of dungeons and mine palaces you go to. Um, mm. so, so I felt very fortunate that with this big exclusive, <laughs> it had come out in Japan before and there was some documentation on the internet else there's no way I would have played it that quickly. I think my final game time was about 80 hours and I really rushed it. Um, and I wow. just tried to stay on as much as what I knew the critical path was as possible. Mm. But it's very surreal with a Persona game because a lot of the critical path is actually just kind of hanging out and like eating right. curry and like chatting with friends and the whole time I'm like sweating like, oh my God, yeah, I need to like, get Hurry the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot go to this cafe today. Let's mine palace, mine palace. I can do this burger eating right contest. Now. There's a... Crazy artists plagiarizing people's work. I do not have time to sit with you, Ryuji, and do this fucking burger eat eating contest. So it, that was very surreal. <laughs> uh, yeah, wild oh. times. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Um, so, which other games were kind of significant to you um, during that period? Does anything kind of spring to mind? Um, yeah, I, th back? I think No Man's Sky was the other big one, right? And I mean, I think they stick in the mind for obvious reasons because of the amount of, you know, quick review work you would maybe have to do. But I remember um, doing the being trusted basically to go and do the cover story. And that was a huge deal, especially at the time when it was, you know, really at the peak of its like hype cycle. Uh, mm. In fact, it might have been a little bit before the peak because uh, they were they were quite relaxed at the studio, I would say. And. Uh, you know, all the PR around it was like kind of relaxed. Maybe it was just <laughs> was, before it started playing up big. Was this the was this the kind of era of all the grand promises and proclamations that were maybe quite easily made in a more relaxed environment? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a little bit before because I remember the the video uh, video the visit to the studio being um, being like quite relaxed and uh, you know all this kind of stuff. And I I think it was just. Uh, I think maybe Word was just starting to get around. I, I'm trying to think whether Edge did their cover before. I think maybe, maybe just before. That would make sense probably from what that, we know that, about that the hierarchy. Like yeah, <laughs> from what we know about the hierarchy perhaps of, of this stuff. Um, but yeah, like I, it was a really nice experience. Like I think that was a real studio visit where I went to and I was like, wow, this seems like a cool environment to be in they're working on this like clearly really like mathematically impressive and quite innovative thing i got to talk to loads of really interesting people so obviously got to talk to sean murray while he was sort of demoing the game i remember having an amazing conversation with uh i think it was paul weir who was like the the audio genius behind a lot of the sort of generative music um mm. and that was fascinating uh and i already also talked to uh, Innes McKendrick, who who was the programmer sort of behind a lot of the amazing sort of beautiful maths going on. We had this really had this really fascinating conversation, uh, y you know, where I was being told about how beautiful maths could be. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there like having dropped it like a hot potato after GCSE. <laughs> yeah, you're like, that's great. How many guns are in the game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, literally, you, you kind of get sent on these missions as well. And I remember my editor going, like, right, we need to know certain things. Like, we need to know how yeah. much of this. And it was still, you know, shrouded in mystery. I suppose because even the developers, right, because so much of it is procedural. Um, mm. You know, sometimes you don't know what's going to come up. I remember writing a very involved intro paragraph about this, like, 
essentially ball bag creature <laughs> that I encountered in my demo. Uh, something you probably couldn't get away with on Edge. Um, <laughs> but it was oh, good I fun. I don't know. I think I think Edge is actually capable. <laughs> oh, of like maybe more ball baggage. Humor. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's where it's that slightly like <laughs> wink, wink. Yes, we are being rude. And maybe you're like, yeah. Like, are we naughty? <laughs> Maybe that was my my start of my my transition period. But yeah, I remember that just being a a huge deal and probably like the first experience I had where I was like, wow, like game dev behind the scenes here looks cool. And wouldn't it be cool to work on something that's, you know, really shooting for the moon, essentially, and and like doing Mm. some really new stuff and, you know, talking to all these really infinitely more intelligent and fascinating, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, people. Um, and I was like, wow, what must it be like to be around here all the time? Um, so yeah, I think the, the combination of that, you know, being maybe one of my highest profile cover stories, um, and, you know, playing, I think probably about, I think it was about 50 hours in four days for the review. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was actually just painful. Cause I, I remember my editor telling me as well, there's a center of the universe. They say there's a center of the universe. You need to try and get to the center. Like, oh my god! <laughs> I just lie and say I got there, and it was like beyond words. <laughs> uh, it'd, be, it'd be funnier for you, like I got there and it was shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, I hear it's awesome. It was Peter Molyneux. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, now your next job is to chip away at this cube. Um, but uh, yeah, it was amazing, and uh, you know, I think all the all the journalists were playing at the same time, so it's another one of those situations where you kind of hear one of the best things about game journalism when you're all discovering a game together and there's sort of a bit of time pressure and so you're it happens with dark souls famously right where you're all sort of swapping tips i remember me and robin valentine did that with uh outer wilds when it came out um all right where you're like oh have you have you done this you should do this it's really important or have you seen this bit yet oh my god wait till you see that i i hijacked phil savage at a um (laughs) doom eternal i think it was preview events because i knew he'd been playing it because i was so stuck at the end and was just we were i think we were both stuck on that 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 sort of notorious difficulty spike at the end of our worlds (laughs) um yes we were both like fuck knows i i ended up like i had to i emailed the developers in the end and was like you've got to help me here. And they sent it back to me like as a cryptic riddle. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is classic. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I, re- I remember being quite uh, quite down on that actually in my review because I, like, I, really, I really was like spitting and swearing at that point of the game. And I'd had such a good time up until about that. And then it, yeah. I, I think, you know, when there's less time pressure, you're a lot more forgiving of stuff like that. And you're really going to spend the time to, you know, it's all seeded in the game like beautifully and subtly. But, you know, when you're a, a journalist on a on a timeline you're like ah why can't i just yeah. do this thing why isn't it doing it so yeah i remember robin helped me out a ton on that and then yeah i remember being like a bit down on it in the review i think i i think i gave it a nine probably i, should, I probably shouldn't say what i reviewed in edge you're not supposed to do that oh well, that's okay so. people do these days don't they <laughs> i suppose i feel like t- tony mott's gonna hunt me down <laughs> Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I, you know, I say I reviewed Skyward Sword, but I don't think I talk about any outside of that. Mm. Maybe that's bullshit, Samuel. I don't know. Uh, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. like I, I, I feel like I have the same things. I think there are like si- significant ones where I'm like, I feel like, yeah, maybe people don't need to know who did like certain yeah. ones. But for something like Outer Worlds, it's like I think it's pretty obviously me. I think I was the only person on 
the team of Edge who even played that game. I'm sure that Matthew has proudly um, <laughs> said that he's the guy who dunked on Heavy Rain for Edge. Like, um, that has definitely oh, uh, come yeah. up on this podcast before. So, he- he- yeah. Heavy Rain in Skyward Sword, I've definitely... Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. gosh, I think I brought up Heavy Rain in my OPM interview, actually. But, like, you know, I like I really, you know, for my sins when I was younger, was 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 really into it. And, of course, when you get a bit older, there's, there's a lot of uh, criticism around certain parts of it but to me like i was really starstruck by a lot of elements in that game um like like really if you're younger like i hadn't encountered quite a lot of that some of the stuff it was doing elsewhere i felt like uh, uh yeah yeah and then of course you you know you reevaluate opinions perhaps when you get older but uh yeah i well, remember I've, being really hyped by it when i was younger I'd be like, wow, i've just chosen not game. to replay it yeah yeah that's the best way to do it i think is just to just to like keep those memories of like a great first impression and that really made me think oh like games don't always have to be guns <laughs> <laughs> no, unless, no, unless sure. you've got a um, persona cover <laughs> oh yeah in absolutely which case, in which you case, have to put a big old bullet on the wall it has to be they did have guns in that game so uh, maybe oh, it was yeah. maybe it was on john he should have given us a a big old piece of uh, uh, art. Cat with a machine gun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's probably, I'm, I'm trying to remember, it's probably like a big machine gun monster with like wings at some point that you trap in a Pokeball. Um, the Persona mm. monsters are amazing. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, that's the sort of like memory of Persona you would have when you play like 100 hours of it in five yeah. days or whatever. Oh, like, yeah. That's, Just yeah, like... there was a Pokeball, a hat with a gun. <laughs> I can't really recall. Um, All yeah. very vague. Very vague, very blurry time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, that's awesome, Jen. Um, so, shall we take a quick break there, and we'll come back and talk about Edge a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. I've been, uh, I've been like sneakily drinking sips of water. Um, so, like, yeah, I don't take know what a your gulp. I d- yeah, I don't know what your beverage policy is. Sorry, listeners. Oh no, it's fine. Me I've... Sipping away. <laughs> I've been drinking tea as well, so it's all good. I ate a um, Rennie. Yeah, okay, it, amazing. Yeah. Cool. You, you, um, I could hear him rustling. I knew he was doing it. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I've not completely shamed myself. Oh, rustling, Matt. Let's do it. Let's good. do. Let's do a break, and we can rustle to our heart's yep. content. <laughs> cool. Back to the podcast. So, in section two, we're going to ask Jen a bunch of Edge questions. Uh, Jen, you were editor of Edge, and before that, uh, deputy editor, I believe. Yes. Um, Ashley, why don't you just tell us what you did on Edge before I try and make it up with bad research? <laughs> um, yeah. So, moving on to Edge. Yeah, I was at OPM, uh, and I think the editor who hired me basically left, and, and we had a new editor in. And I'd been on OPM, I think, for probably coming up three years. So, like, maybe I was feeling like, oh, hey, like, kind of looking around at other parts of the floor, like lots of other, like, cool teams to work with. <laughs> and I'd, I'd spent a little bit of time chatting quite a lot with Ben Maxwell over on Edge. That period was basically when we were starting to sort of get friendly and, uh, and exchange opinions on indie games. Uh, I remember he really liked Rhyme, and I thought it was fine. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> bonding overtakes. So yeah, so I think that was sort of my first uh, go at like edging into the 
<laughs> edging, edging into the edge sphere of the office. They were. Do you remember them in that sort of like dark back corner, sort of surrounded I mean, by? They've they've always occupied a dark back <laughs> corner somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of the edge aesthetic. Is the, that's where they grow? The sort of yeah, the sort of like uh, probably like um, obsessed with like Elden Ring lately. I'm sure we'll get onto that at some point, but like. Uh, the sort of slightly evil witches and wizards of like Raya Lucaria and they've got like a mad office that's like piled high with tomes and you don't right. quite know what they're up to but it's probably something secret and shady um, <laughs> and it's a little bit dim you know they only write by candlelight um, that, that was very much my impression um, you know and it, like that's a real like cultivated thing at Edge as well this sort of air of mystique and it's very cool it, you know especially me I'm like oh so cool i want to i want to see what they're up to over there they're probably playing the latest nintendo game that i haven't caught yet um so i (laughs) (laughs) so i started sort of to edge into that space very occasionally chat to nathan if i like needed something when we were working on something on opm or uh wanted to wanted to trade stories about codes or something who had and hadn't got them so ben maxwell was leaving and he'd been staff writer on edge for ages right um, and he was moving on to somewhere new. And I think we had a conversation where he was like, oh, like, you know, would you ever want to go and work on Edge? And I was like, you know, I don't know if I'd up to that, like, standard, but, like, it would be very, very cool. Uh, and there was that conversation. And then all of a sudden one day, uh, Nathan Brown, I should say, Nathan Brown, uh, editor of Edge, uh, for the majority of time I was there, uh, sort of c- came over to my desk. I think it was lunchtime. And he was like... Can I just uh, can I have a word with you in the like future canteen for a bit, like downstairs? Um, and I was like, oh, okay. And he sat me down at a table and and basically was like, would you like to come and and work on Edge magazine? Um, I think Ben had basically recommended me. Perhaps I don't think Nathan had really oh. read much of my work. Um, which is fine because it was very, you know, kind of sophomore. But he, he loved your rhyme tape. <laughs> yeah, he loved he loved the ball bag anecdote from, uh, <laughs> from No One's Sky. He was like, yeah, you know, you know which cheeky chappy mag would love this content. Um, yeah, so I think sort of he'd, you know, trusted Ben on on this sort of little little tip that hey, you know, there's there's probably a decent writer over at OPM uh, who who might want to come and work on edge um and so yeah i was like i was i was real starstruck i think at first i was like uh we, we sort of eased me into like the edge style which is quite um uh like uh specific uh so i did some freelance uh in, in a couple of issues before yeah and then i i joined the team as deputy editor in the end um i think we were initially talking about a sort of like games editor role or like reviews editor. Mm. Um, mm. But then with a little bit of negotiating on my part, um, it became deputy <laughs> editor. Again, I, do, like, I don't know how that happened. I, I see. <laughs> I got very lucky, I think, in that I asked for for something and, uh, and they very kindly gave it to me. Um, it was all about uh, time you spent negotiating with monsters and personas. <laughs> Exactly. You just brought that skill set to it. Yeah. Because they're basically like, everyone at Edge is like a sexy goth monster. Oh, yeah. They're a, (laughs) what did we say? A gun with wings. When I picture Nathan Brown in my head, I see him as a gun with wings, you know. (laughs) The gun when, you know, I have a deadline or a word count I need to cut down and then the wings when he's just being a good mentor. 
Um, yeah, that was kind of how I got onto Edge. And it was it was very surreal because, you know, it's, again, it's sort of something you I would buy occasionally and be like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And maybe some of it a little bit over my head. Um, but some of it, like, you know, I really uh, connected with. And I, I think uh, I'd sort of been leaning into... I suppose more like philosophical <laughs> breakdowns of games in in OPM, um, and yeah, it seemed like there was like infinite space in Edge to do stuff like that, and almost sort of get back to my like academic criticism roots in a way, you know, trying to make it interesting and not dry as well. Um, but I remember that being really exciting to me, and just sort of feeling like you know, OPM's so much fun and loads of like fun little. Uh, things you could do like dr playstation and stuff but this was really an opportunity to be like oh wow look at these look at these big word counts and look at these postscripts where you can like really come in at like interesting angles and extrapolate out um you know some really interesting stuff so that was really um Mm. yeah really attractive to me i remember the uh when you moved across to edge was that e3 where we were staying in murder house um like uh oh you I can't do that when i'm that. drinking i nearly <laughs> i nearly spat it all out murder house i think we've still got is that whatsapp still alive we ought, uh, oh i don't know we actually. ought to Maybe scroll it through it live i don't know we'll probably say all sorts of you know <laughs> revealing things about journalists at e3 and the absolute <laughs> chaos that goes on there uh, I think the last message in there just says, remember Murder House? <laughs> like, I think that was like the last thing anyone uh, said. Good times. Uh, yeah, we should maybe explain Murder House was just sort of the affectionate nickname it got when we rocked up to this place that like really looked that like it was still a, a building site in many ways from the outside. But then on the inside, yeah. it was like horrifyingly specific. There was a mirror that was like painted black. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which was a choice. And then also there was like a door that led to a basement where we like suspected that someone was down there, but we hadn't been told there was anyone else in the place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a lot like a super massive game kind of premise, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, like five journalists, six journalists go to a, go to a house and they're sort of picked off over the course of E3 in various ways. Which, which B-list stars play each of you? Do we I think um, Jesse, P- Jesse Plemons would be me, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's a choice. I love that. Gosh, I'm not sure who I would cast as me. Oh my god. I think Jesse Plemons could play either you or me, Matthew, to be honest. It's interchangeable. There's like a guest role where Matthew comes around one night for a for a, a post show beer and it's also Jesse Plemons. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um so I always thought you seemed like a great fit for Edge because you had a strong idea of what was right for it. So what did you see as the Edge identity coming into it, as it were? And what do you feel you, how do you feel like you shaped it with your sensibilities? Edge has always had this really strong identity, right? Which is like really its big strength. So I remember rocking up and just being like, for at least a year, you know, I just wanted to get it right and like make sure I was talking in the right voice. I was sort of, uh, you know, foregrounding the right stories. And that was very, very easy to learn because uh, Nathan, as editor, was a, a really good like teacher of that. Um, you know, people like Nathan and Tony are people who've been there for ages and they've really internalized like what that magazine is and its whole identity. Um, and so it, it's actually really nice to have a person go, hey, this is right, this is wrong. Um, it, like, it's quite simple in that regard. 
um, because the identity is so strong. Um, but yeah, for a while it was kind of like, well, I kind of don't want to, you know, <laughs> try and like muscle my own, too much of my own identity in here really, because it, it really is about serving the mag as an entity. Um, you sort of forfeit your rights in some ways uh, early on maybe to, to your own identity because it's important that you protect the edge identity that has been the same or, you know, had a certain standard for what, 25, 26 plus years. Um, mm. You want to make sure the readers are, are getting what they come to get and have come to get for a huge amount of years. But like one thing I really strongly identified with, with and where I thought I could sort of help maybe not help, but like carve out my own niche in was that that masthead they have, right? Which is the future of interactive entertainment. That to me is like something I identify so strongly with and still to to this day. I think that's such a good motto to have for video games, uh, you know, and that and that whole interactive art form. Like I so much of what I do is about what is like the future of this? What's the next thing? Like where's all the innovation at? And I guess before like I started like worming my way into that, uh, I felt like they were always really good at, you know, covering sort of new advancements in technology, why it was interesting, breaking that down, and also uh, covering sort of big ticket games in that vein as well, and sort of using that amazing access Edge gets because of its identity um, to really, you know, get super deep access to these really big ticket mm -hmm. games from big companies. Um, so yeah, that was my like first impression of, of the edge identity, I suppose. And then, so sort of, as I got more comfortable there and, you know, you sort of feel like you can ease back into your own identity a bit more. And there's so like, I feel like if you know edge, uh, like really well, even though there's no by bylines, you can eventually tell which writer has written what, um, uh, and yeah, sort of like a year or so in started being able to get into that sphere where I could really sort of have my own little anonymous niche in edge yeah and for me you know future of interactive entertainment I was like oh well that's indie games you know there's a lot of innovative stuff happening in indie games uh in sort of alt game scenes art game scenes I felt that that was really fascinating and that sometimes maybe that got passed over in favor of understandably like access to the big stuff because that's one of Edge's like huge coups, right? Is that they have the clout to be able to do that and really provide that that uh, stuff for their audience, uh, and it you know sells fantastically. It's wonderful. But for me, I was like, oh, like there, there's so much stuff I think that really merits like a real deep dive. So I started pushing really hard to make space for like kind of more niche indie stuff. Um, and again, Nathan was like super supportive. Uh, it wasn't long before he let me do this like huge feature on uh, like alternative controllers and games made specifically for like hyper specific controllers, like uh, this weird DJ thing, like with f fighting game like Sanwa buttons called the MIDI Fighter. Um, you know, uh, there was this. Is that the thing with? Is that like a, the thing with the block of like sixteen buttons? Exactly. Yeah, and they're all like colourful. Yeah. And they're those clicky like arcade buttons, right? Like the the mm. super tactile ones. Um, and I remember, I think I'd read an article somewhere about uh, the developer TJ Hughes at GDC in the sort of alt control bit, showing off this game called Nor, 
like the first bit of Nourish. And it was all about, it was like these incredibly beautiful, like surreal, super vibrant, colorful scenes of like ramen noodles and uh, popcorn and like gummy bears being poured into a bath. And you would use this super colorful tactile controller with like motion controls to interact with the food in these scenes. Um, And I was like, that is the coolest thing ever, you know? And so TJ uh, and his work uh, and a bunch of other people doing stuff with like really weird controllers in video games, like indie stuff, future looking stuff, you know, there was no, sadly Mm. there was no steel battalion bit. Uh, (laughs) I was kind of looking more forward and I got, I got to do that. And that was awesome. And that to me was like, I don't know, I feel like it's out of like weird stuff like that, that like things like the DS get born and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. I think Noor eventually, well, I know Noor eventually got picked up uh, a few years later. Uh, I'd, I'd backed it on Kickstarter, but it actually ended up getting uh, picked up by Sony. So yeah, so I was like, oh, I saw that before it was cool. Um, <laughs> so I just started doing a lot of that stuff in Edge, basically, and I was given space to do that uh, uh, yeah, and really pushing for for indies on the covers, which you know I sort of ended up leaning more into when I was eventually editor. When did you become editor, and what was that like for you taking on that role? Because you progressed um, in your career very quickly at Future. You were a real kind of rising star, uh, and I think justifiably so. But like, um, what was that like taking um, taking on the role of editor on Edge? In some ways, it was scary, but then in other ways, it wasn't really scary at all because Nathan and I had sort of been working on a level together for uh, like at least a couple of years before that just because of the nature of how magazine teams are like you'll know this like you know if you Mm. if you have a deputy like you end up kind of dividing the work equally because you have to and you know there's a lot to get through Mm. um good editors (laughs) yeah maybe um so you know my my editor did that with me uh and he was like nathan was always very very hot on making me do the things and learn the things um he like it felt like he always had this idea of like you know one day when i am old and gray she will she will take over and uh you know and and step into my place and so he really like prepared me for a lot of that um and let me get hands on with a lot of stuff you know i think also it's just it's hard to do everything yourself so you you just have to assign out that work so you know i'd been leading covers essentially managing the budget um, and uh, working with sort of our range of freelance writers and editing everything as well as uh, writing hmm. a whole bunch. So I, I was well prepared. But yeah, I mean, it was surreal. It was a surreal moment because it, it, like you say, it kind of felt like it all happened quite fast. Hmm. And it was suddenly like, oh my gosh, I'm at the helm of this thing that I've just admired, you know, since I was I was really young. And some days you still, you're like, oh, I hope I'm doing it right. But I think by the time I got there, I was I was I was pretty well prepped, <laughs> at least. Was was yeah. there was there anything that gave gave you the fear uh, about like the editorship in general? Yeah, like when you're when you're finally there and you've got it all. Because oh. I, like I, I felt like I, I didn't feel like, based on your description there. I didn't feel feel half as prepared. I like weirdly, I'd probably worked on mags for twice as long at that point, but I felt half as prepared. Um, which again speaks to your many qualities as a as a well all round uh, journalist superstar. But um, yeah, like there was so much where I was like, "This is I have to now make these calls." You know, like the buck stops here, and yeah, you know, I felt I felt like I probably felt more fear than excitement. 
Yeah, I like it was probably a 50-50 for me because I like right. like again, I think I'd just gotten really lucky in having someone who was like, you know what, I'm going to prepare her for this eventuality. Um mm. and 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 have her make calls on covers. I, but you're right, like, you know, back in the day if I had a wild idea for a cover, which I did, the buck would stop with Nathan. It would be up to Nathan to sort of go mm. to the to the higher ups hat in hand and go, "Look, she's got a really good idea. I think we should let her do it." Um Whereas mm. then I had to get into that role and that is scary trying to, you know, justify essentially what are often gut feelings on things like covers. So, yeah, I suppose covers are that main thing where you're like, mm. this is the thing that uh, on the shelf makes or breaks a purchasing decision. You know, this is the thing that all the other wonderful stuff in the magazine written by really talented people is kind of like locked behind, like in a in a mind share mm. kind of way. And it's like... Am I picking the right thing that is going to ensure that like people like give a rat's ass essentially and pick up and and read the rest of it? Because that's the nice thing about magazines. It's kind of once you get them in and once you've <laughs> once you've had someone pay for something or or invest in the idea, they tend to read all the stuff. Um, so yeah, mm. I think that was like front of mind. That it was like, am I making the right cover choices? Uh, you know, seeing as yeah. though yeah, that it's, that part of it stops with me now. It's. I find the edge cover thing really interesting, and and this isn't to do other games mags down, but I feel like Edge, because of its reputation and because its remit is that bit wider, it could kind of set the agenda a bit more. Like growing up, I always thought Edge told you what it thought was important. Mm-hmm. It didn't necessarily pander mm-hmm. to what was popular. Um, and I know there's a bit of give and take, and and most magazine editors, I you know, I know like Samuel on PC Gamer did this loads, like managed to champion lots of stuff and do covers, which he's really super proud of. On OXM, like I felt like the platform like ran away from me totally. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just chasing what I thought an Xbox person would like, so it was like man with guns. But on Edge, I'm interested in the process of like picking the right cover. It isn't as simple as like the big game that sells it's how do you identify what is what is the right tech piece of tech or argument even that you're trying to make that is worthwhile putting on the cover if that makes sense yeah absolutely and you're absolutely right it's uh, and it's it's a very specific curation process and it's completely informed by the identity of the magazine like you're right the cover of edge is still a huge deal um, uh, that's amazing. Like, if people see something on the cover of Edge, they they give it credence, right? They're like, oh, well, if Edge has put it on the cover, that must be, like, a pretty big deal. And so I was always hyper aware of putting the right thing on, of making the right call, of going, like, is this actually... Like, A, is this actually what the story is, which is something you kind of only realise when you get into the interviews. And and B, <laughs> like like... Is is the game or the thing a banger, or is is sort of history going to prove us incorrect? <laughs> like, there's there's kind of this pressure on Edge to be correct, um, and that's that's always was like a really scary thing because you know I like the idea Edge, <laughs> Edge's subtitle should have been all bangers all the time, <laughs> all bangers, all killer, no filler. But like, this is the thing, and uh, you know. Uh, 
maybe I won't get specific, but kind of like the wrong calls are almost talked with like a, a reverence at, at Edge AQ HQ where you're like, you know what, you don't want to get it wrong because they're actually, you know, there are there are, <laughs> there, oh, really? there are there things that people still refer to the X. Incident. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you'll see it if you go on any forums. This is the thing, like you're really supposed to be the arbiter of, of truth in the game industry. And of course, you know, the, the big thing is no one really can be because things are objective. But if you yeah. have this lens through which to view things like, hey, so Edge's remit is kind of the future of interactive entertainment, like even beyond the game is the story of this thing or what these people are like who are making the game are trying to do like does that kind of align with uh like what the magazine values right um and so that is that is funny because sometimes you'll kind of pick things where you're like i know the story behind this is actually kind of fascinating but people might look at the cover and be like, "What the hell is that on there?" And it's just, it's it's because like even if the game looks left field, the story of the people behind it, um, you know, and at least what we've learned from talking to them, uh, is is sort of aligned with Edge's like core values, I suppose you could say. Mm. But it's very weird. Like I I wouldn't know how to sum up the kind of like this but not this it's kind of this weird again like semi-magical gut feeling you get from just being around like edge people and having conversations and knowing about that but like yeah again we've like talked a little bit about this already right but like i feel like i was i was i did a decent job of kind of trusting my gut on stuff and i don't think i made any seriously bad calls (laughs) in my (laughs) in my stint um, uh, we're so going to yeah. list them now. Oh, God. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> no. Like the sound of a scroll unrolling. Like, actually. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, uh, I was yeah. going to ask Jed. It seems like the peak Jen Simpkins cover to me is the Playdate cover. Oh, yeah. Now, I mean, like, intersection <laughs> of, you know, interesting control mechanism and indie games. It seems like very you. Was that a, a Jen Simpkins choice? It must have been. Oh, right? that is exactly what happened. And I fully let that, led that cover. And Nathan, basically, I ca- I'll, I'll tell you the story. But Nathan, I came to Nathan with it. And I went, dude, I know it looks crazy. But like, trust me, like this story is fascinating. It's so me, but it's also so edge. It's really interesting. They're offering us this exclusive. Can we put it on the cover? Um, and I think, you know, at least at that point, I think he tried to shelter me from a lot of the discussions that had to go along with, with doing something like that. But essentially, he went, OK, leave it with me and went and had the requisite conversations. Um, but yeah, like he basically fought my corner of we're going to put this fucking weird Game Boy looking ass thing with a crank on the cover like it's so hipster (laughs) like it plays one bit games uh and it's going on the cover of edge and he really made that happen but yeah that was um that was like two months of like really long days for me because not only was i working full-time on the magazine obviously getting you know the previous issues for those months out while working on this project setting up all the interviews doing the like crazy process of getting the right cover art you know working with teenage engineering to make sure that we're representing this thing like in a correct way so so yeah it was working full-time on the magazine uk time and then it was like and then you know seattle wakes up uh, portland sorry portland wakes up and i'm in you know panic kindly sort of let me into their slack so that we could uh we could discuss uh there and keep all the discussions there instead of an email um so yeah, that, that was 
that was a lot of work um and and i was in charge of it the, the sort of brief story behind it i talk a little bit about it in the in the cover feature that eventually came to be but i went to gdc it's my first gdc and i got this email from this uh guy that i didn't really know called cable and he was like hey i'm with this company well i'm the ceo essentially of this company called panic um we helped out like publishing firewatch and like we're working on this really weird thing that I kind of want to show you and I think you'd be interested in and so I met up with this guy he's like lovely and he was like right let's find somewhere to go sit you know you're sort of in San Francisco and it, it was outside of the show floor so it's like right what do we where should we go to like look at this in in a place that has adequate secrecy so I don't know about you guys I don't know where you've been taken to just sort of try and look at a game away from the general public but when you're in public like I'm normally it'll be like on a laptop in a coffee shop somewhere maybe in a quiet corner is that sort yeah, of very familiar yeah so that was sort yeah, of hotel what... lobby yeah yeah you know and you just kind of you know put headphones you get headphones on and and they show you and it's all very clandestine and I also started to realize that he didn't have a laptop with him or anything like not even a bag right. and I was like at this point, I'm like kind of starting to panic. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's like my first time in San Francisco on my, on my own. And I'm like, what is like, what's happening? Am I going to be like, is this a pyramid scheme? Like what's going on? Um, <laughs> what have I stepped into? Starts making threatening <laughs> referencing to cranking. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, not, not sure, sure about, this. about this. Start some red flags are starting to go up. Um, kidnappers if you're listening to this uh, I'm not usually this gullible I promise um, uh, anyway so we end up like in a, basically halfway up a stairwell in like some public building and he's like yeah like thank you for like sitting with me in this like very weird secret place but like I don't really want to see anyone to see what what's happening and then he just sort of reaches into his shirt pocket and pulls out this like Game Boy looking ass thing and I was like <gasps> like immediately <laughs> it's like it's like every cell in my body lit up and I was like what is this like I think I, I I'm probably like famously non-cynical I would say so like immediately as soon as I saw it I was just like ah oh, that's so cool the crank wasn't even out at this point yeah and I was, I was just like what is this and he sort of proceeded just to demo it he had uh what did he have working just some really basic stuff like the clock app uh like a menu interface like this drawing app Maybe he showed me a little bit of cranking, which is this funny little thing where you crank forward to have this robot run forward. And then if you crank backward, he runs backward, but time goes backwards and there's, there's puzzles to do with that. And he just starts demoing this thing. I'm like immediately sold. It's so embarrassing. Um, it's it's really cool. The screen manages to look great. Obviously, it's it's kind of like this reflective thing. So uh, it kind of needs light to show up, but it was it was quite like a lit up stairwell because of all like the glass walls. And I wonder if that played a part in the, his his venue selection. And he was just <laughs> explaining this thing. And he was like, we've got Zach Gage making a game for it. We've like, here's Kate Takahashi's game. Bennett Foddy's working on something for it. Uh, we're going to do this, this and this. Of course, at some point he like pops out the crank. And I'm like, what the, f-? I'm like laughing at this point. Like, oh my God, what is happening? <laughs> um and I was just like, yeah. I was like, man, this is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. Um, he's like a huge fan of Edge. So really, he's just looking for anything. But I was just like, dude, 
like, I was like, I can't promise anything because I have to go talk to my editor. But like, from what you've told me, I was like, I really want to put it on the cover. And he was like, oh my God. <laughs> and we were just hyping out. And so I like, I think I had a free time after that. So I just went back into the Moscone Center. I like found some uh, like quiet booth in the media area. And I, I immediately called Nathan and was like, dude, I've seen the most batshit thing. And I think Nathan is more of a natural cynic. <laughs> so <laughs> I think at first he was like, okay, uh, like, what is this? Why is it interesting? And then I saw, when I explained like who was working on it, um, I also drew, if you want for the show notes, I can send you my like laughably shit iPhone sketched version of what this device looked like. <laughs> oh, go ahead, yeah. I'll pop that on Pinterest and uh, yeah, that's oh, It's good. fabulous. I'll send you that because um, <laughs> I, I, I was like, I, I can try and explain it, but I'll, I'll just try and do this like rough drawing of what it is and what the crank looked like. <laughs> I got the crank like horribly wrong. <laughs> it's, I don't know why I even sent it. It was so stupid. I was so excited. Uh, yeah, and that just kicked off that whole thing. It's a very long story, but it's a really fun story. Um, and I think Cable sort of knew what he was doing with like the showmanship of having to find this secret place. And I think he said to me, you know, months later, he was like, oh, yeah, I really planned the pocket bit, you know, where you just <laughs> take it out. <laughs> it was a massive moment in like kicking that off. It was the moment that kicked it off, wasn't it? And mm. like, it feels like that that is a really good example of like what Edge can do that like maybe other magazines can't do. So yeah, it must have been really exciting for you at the time. Yeah, it was. It was nerve wracking because I, I was like, God, I hope people care. But like, again, I had this gut feeling that people might. Uh, and I was like, you know, I feel like I know enough people like me who love indie games and love kind of moonshots and like weird fucking hardware. But yeah, that was a wild, wild time. Uh, and it was just so much work on everybody's part, like panic, because panic, but so many hours into like really giving us the access. So I was like, right, if we're going to put this on the cover, we need we need hours of interview. We need, you know, like all this stuff. We need the guarantee of exclusivity. And we'll do this kind of big splash moment that like aligns with all of their stuff. Yeah, it was it's it's amazing looking back on it like I, I i can't believe like it landed in my lap and it, this is another thing where i just feel like i got real blessed cable just wanted to talk to someone at edge because he loved edge and i think he really lucked out talking to someone maybe he lucked out maybe it was planned you know who who was basically gonna eat this shit up <laughs> i'm just so glad you didn't have to go back to him and say <laughs> no i'm afraid we're going with call of duty oh my gosh can you imagine that's the thing like i don't yeah, oh my gosh. I don't think we would have done it's that. It's getting 50 words of news. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Yeah, enjoy your enjoy your Clag review. Uh, like maybe, maybe it'll be all right. I'm afraid it's Clag. <laughs> it's Clag for you. Yeah, what a moment. I was so glad I could do that. And it just, you know, another one of those things that really, really solidified my belief in uh, like taking really weird stuff and giving it as big as a platform as possible. Obviously, Panic is like, I think, a multi-million dollar company. So it's not quite, you know, uh, like a total tale of struggle. They have a lot of resources behind them. And, you know, these are really superstar indies that were working on it at first before like a bunch of other people got added. Uh, but nevertheless, it just felt like one of those really cool, risky things that you could create like a real moment around um and people people really like showed out for it which i was like super excited by yeah, <laughs> it was really for nice sure. um were there any other any other uh specific covers you're really proud of in retrospect jen i think like are you was that edge cover feature still the most comprehensive silk song 
uh, kind of like uh, I guess expose or feature that there's been. I think like, so. That's a game that, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, again, uh, I think uh, I was really blessed with that. Um, obviously, I, well, I am a huge fan of, of Hollow Knight, the first game. I think I, I, I did jump onto it. In fact, a year after it first released, when it came to the Switch, um, and I was like, this thing's fucking incredible. Um, I think I reviewed it for it. I did review it for Edge. Another another cheeky review exclusive mm. for Backpage Pod. Revealing, <laughs> ripping off Edge masks one at a time. <laughs> um, Great. Uh, I, I, I was absolutely in love with it. Um, you know, completed it, the works. Uh, and so immediately I started uh, emailing moonshots at Team Cherry. Like, <gasps> you know, as soon as we we heard that Silk Song was a thing, I was like, oh my gosh. I, was, I, I immediately went in with I would love to put it on the cover of Edge because it felt like Hollow Knight had this, you know, it does have this really, really rabid fan base about around it because it's it's such a brilliant game. And it's really one of those indie darlings, you know, uh, one of those things that you can really justify putting it on the cover. And I just started emailing. And I think it was probably about every six months. Bless them. Every single time they were like, oh, what? basically they were like, that sounds really cool. And I was like, wow. And they were like, but you know, we're not quite ready or like, you know, there's something going on or various stuff, you know, like they really have quite a complex development process. I did a making of Hollow Knight as well. And um, I talked to them quite a lot about sort of how their development process uh, (laughs) sort of webs out. Probably for about two plus years, I would just keep emailing them. Uh, especially, you know, in those moments where you don't have anything for to cover and you're like, ooh, you know, it'd be really good if it came off right now. <laughs> mm. um, just please. Um, anyway, one day it came off and they came back. No, and no, like, no, you could Yeah, actually, we could probably show you some stuff. And I was like hyperventilating. <laughs> was that your last issue? That was my last issue, which again, uh, do you know what? And I think the last plea I made to them uh, was about a month uh, or so before and I knew it was going to be my last issue. And I, I think I emailed them and I was like, look, guys, it's my last issue. I was like, obviously no pressure and you can only show something if you're ready. But like, if you can, I can't explain how exciting it would be if this was my last cover. I would love to do that. Mm. And I was like, but just let me know. I thought, you know, they're not going to be ready. But they were like, yeah, you know what? Like, let's do it. And like, again, I, like, I feel like there's just been a series of people in my career that have really gone, you know what? She seems all right like why not let's give it a go and like hope, <laughs> mm. hopefully it's worked out for them on balance <laughs> um yeah uh that, yeah. that issue also had that great um tangle tower making of oh thank you yeah oh i i love them i that was I like that. super in there that was huge <laughs> it was like was it like eight pages yeah because they sent us so much incredible art so like developers if you're listening to this and you want to pitch stuff to edge or talk to edge about a feature if you have beautiful things that you can print in a magazine like assets are gold dust so if you come at us with mm. like gorgeous concept art you know like Catherine Unger worked on that game and and Adam Vian as well like a lot on on the uh, art and they had the most beautiful stuff from all sections of development and so it's like the easiest yes in the world you know and also you know if it's your last issue you just go mega indulgent I was just like I'm just gonna put everything I don't give a fuck that's that's, that's (laughs) what I liked about that issue it was it was really you you know oh thanks man uh, yeah, it was just a blast to put together. It was it was busy, obviously, but it you know it, especially your last issue, if you're lucky enough to have one, you know. And I felt really lucky having heard stories about people not getting their last issue, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to make it count, um, and mm. and and just go, 
just go full gen and <laughs> blow it. Hopefully people enjoy it. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was fabulous. They're an amazing team. I can't wait to see what they do next. Um, uh, but they're wonderful. We've, we've kept in touch sort of here and there since then. Uh, and I think I, I yeah, I, uh, I sort of presented uh, a little section of Indiecade with them. So if you want more Tangle Tower content, Matthew, uh, go look through like the Indiecade like 2019 VODs. Oh, well, we'll do. We've got some, we've got some <laughs> stuff there where I'm like playing the game and interviewing them a bit more about the process. I, mm. I think I also did a Watch Dogs Two Timex in that issue. Oh, you? Re- yeah, I forgot you like Watch Dogs Two. <laughs> I, I know. Bless me for my sins. I think Nathan had sort of warned me off it for a while, and then eventually, at the last issue, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Uh, that's me. I'm I'm the Watch Dogs Two liker. Um, <laughs> It's You've good. logged on. Yeah. It's, got, it's got good vibes, that game. It's yeah, got good vibes. like some of the vibes are cringe, but I think I have a high tolerance for cringe. I think like, <laughs> I think enough like genuineness comes through in that game to be quite radical for like, especially like Yubi at the time. And I think I wrote a bit in the Time X uh, like about how it was really cool of them to sort of do that big tone swing from the first game that was very sort of like bleak and grey and you know maudlin uh, and and received quite badly and for them to be like okay you know what we will go crazy and we'll go completely in the opposite direction and I think you know regardless of, of what you think of the final game which you know does have its flaws as well as some brilliant stuff it's, it's not an edge 10 is what oh you're it's not it's not an edge 10 but like <laughs> i you know those that's the most interesting stuff to write about all the time like is mm-hmm. is that stuff that kind of hovers around the 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 seven eight six area uh mm. where you're like yeah they took a big swing and maybe they missed some stuff but like the the heart of it is like trying to do something quite interesting um yeah yeah good last Absolutely. issue i can feel proud of that one and yeah i feel lucky that essentially i was able to to have that issue uh to do that yeah i, I was kind of curious like which games end up defining your era on edge like is there anything i suppose you mentioned tangle tower there but is there anything um in particular that you were sort of obsessed with during that time or you reviewed <laughs> and it felt like a significant moment or i guess like give me the spread of um the stuff that meant something to you at the time jen yeah i think the main game was just the game of trying to edit a magazine <laughs> Um, and then mm. reviewing whatever I had to review that month. And I, you know, I was lucky enough, I think, to review a lot of really cool games, um, you know, stuff up in the nine and ten echelons. Um, and that's always exciting for Edge when you get to kind of gird yourself and go, right, I'm going to write a nine review. I'm going to write a ten review. Have you, have you, oh, and you'd have to say what it is. Have you, you've written a ten review then? Yeah. And I think anyone who maybe knows me can guess what that might be. <laughs> yeah. Not, not a massive. It's not a one. huge reach, but, you know, we'll, we'll let, we'll let the readers work them out with that out for themselves <laughs> weirdly the game that devi- defines my edge career i think um is a seven out of ten an edge seven that i gave and it was uh do you remember gree uh gree oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 platformer yeah it's you know it's very uh like uh basically this kind of like very incredibly beautiful 
uh, like 2D indie platformer where you sort of play as this like floaty dressed girl sort of like running around essentially in her own crumbling mine palace. It's, you know, it's so indie. <laughs> it's the indiest thing <laughs> you could ever imagine, you know, like to a fault, right? And uh, and I sort of explored that quite a bit in my review. In, in some ways, it's very, very tropey. Um, but, you know, it looks gorgeous. The puzzles are all right. But then sort of in the back third of the uh, review, I started to get quite personal, not in like a first person way, because you don't really do that in Edge, you know, you're the mag voice. But I, I sort of became this treatise to... Um, millennial angst I suppose <laughs> sounds incredibly pretentious but like <laughs> what happened was I was listening to a new 1975 album the one with like I like America but America doesn't like me or some some pretentious title that album uh, with that on it anyway and I was sort of in my feelings about being a depressed millennial <laughs> um, and it, like, it, it sounds so lame but like some of that review became this sort of treatise on like yeah like it's quite cliched and like there's a lot of like quite like in your feelings cliches about it but like you know sometimes that sort of stuff hits and you have to just let it hit like sometimes cliches are cliche for a reason because hmm. uh like they hmm. they sort of connect with maybe like a, a, a more universal truth um and it really felt like a game that was aimed at perhaps a specific generation of people like the music I was listening to was this kind of like oh like kind of weirdly fell through the cracks in some instances and we're all a bit depressed and uh like kind of don't know how says, to says interact the with ourselves. Of Edge magazine. <laughs> yeah exactly it's bullshit but like Cry me I, I know right <laughs> oh my god my diamond shoes are too tight as well anyway um but like so the thing that was important or, or significant about that was um uh bless him Nathan had like a really big reaction to it you know, and as someone who like really looks up to this person and he's my mentor and I've learned a lot about writing from him and, you know, really trying to, you know, essentially be a great depth for him. He had this really like, I don't know, I probably shouldn't write him out, but like quite an emotional reaction to it. He's really proud of me. And he was he basically messaged me after he was doing proofs the like night before we'd sent and was like, this is amazing. Like, I kind of didn't get why people would go on about like, putting these kind of personal angles on reviews like this but like this made me get it and oh, wow. I kind of understand you through it and I've actually gained like a deeper understanding of this kind of seven out of ten game through what you've written here and like he was super super generous and like sweet about it um, and that really stuck out in my mind as like a real victory of oh. like oh I did something with my writing you know and like games writing is tough right <laughs> like because you sometimes you're like um you know writing about video games and it like really felt like this significant moment of I'd managed to sounds kind of parasitic but like use someone else's art to talk about like why it was significant in a wider sense because I had such a like personal reaction to it and I was working through that in the mm -hmm. writing and yeah like I like you know Nathan different generation perhaps as he is and always teasing me about being young and <laughs> not really understanding sometimes where I'm coming from that was this moment where like I'd really somehow allowed him to get into my brain um, and he was very publicly uh, nice about the review when it came out on Twitter and, you know, oh, like said amazing. as much. Uh, that was great, you know, like for, yeah. for your boss who you really look up to, who, you know, is a real stoic edge editor. I was like, wow, <laughs> I got through. That's so cool. <laughs> 
Um, oh, I get that. Yeah. I get that. Wanting to wanting to impress a mentor. Yeah. And, and like when you <laughs> when you finally land it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a pretty special thing. Yeah. Yeah, and in, in such a personal way as well. And I, I was just like, oh man, that's so cool. You know, it was it was, it was quite hard to uh, justify all but all of my other. Uh, <laughs> stupid things that I'm obsessed with. People like, why are you always watching that anime, you weirdo? <laughs> but yeah, that was what, that one time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one time I will always hold close. Yeah, hope, hope he's sweet with me uh, outing him as the uh, wonderful, uh, sensitive, <laughs> considerate mentor he is, and not like a you know stone statue edge man. Um, he's actually uh, a very great friend of mine. An excellent teacher <laughs> and a big oh, softy. Awesome. Well, that seems like a good note to uh, sort of wrap up the yeah. edge discussion. Is there anything else you wanted to sort of mention there, Jen, that was um, like a, a big deal? I'm so glad I did it. Um, and I'm so glad I got given the opportunity to do it. It was like significant in so many ways. I think I'm the second ever uh, female editor, uh, along with like Margaret um, from, mm-hmm. from a while back. I, I really took that seriously and I wanted to represent well and, uh, like to be given the opportunity to do that for something like Edge, which is like so, you know, rightfully, I think, revered, was huge. And I will always be super, super grateful for that and everyone who helped me get there. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, um, absolutely. And uh, it's wonderful to hear you discuss that at uh, that time. <laughs> so uh, much appreciated. Um, in which case, we'll take a quick break then and we'll come back and talk about your current work at Media Molecule. Nice. Back to the podcast. So in this final section, I'm going to chat to Jen a little bit about working at Media Molecule. Um, so Jen, I'm really curious, like going from edge to sort of industry side, what was responsible for, for that leap? Um, is it more about the kind of studio than it was about kind of like moving out of media? It's a little bit of both, really. Like, I mean, Edge ultimately, I think, was responsible and maybe a little bit of OPM um, because sort of as we as we've covered, uh, I started going to visit game studios like those are jobs that put me in in fortunate positions right to go and see what was happening behind the scenes and edge like infinitely more so than opm even edge is like uh, a publication that's all about you know going dev side and 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 hopping over there and really spending as much time with that as possible and i thought it looked great you know i i was able to sort of have conversations you know even off the record with developers about what their lives were like and what they were working on and you know how it was to be developing video games and i was like that sounds really cool so that was a huge part of it um but also you know media molecule itself uh you know much like edge was like a real lifetime dream of mine you know ever since playing uh tear away and then like little big planet before that you know i'd grown up on playstations um and so i'd interacted with that stuff and and really admired uh, like what they did over there the culture in particular i was like wow that looks amazing um you know the real sort of free flow of ideas creativity um I did a, a an edge cover feature on Dreams actually, and I got to go to the studio in I want to say like maybe 2017 um, to check out Dreams and the studio, and I like really fell in love. Was like this place is amazing. <laughs> like maybe maybe one day. 
so yeah, that's that's sort of what happened. But I, I really wanted to wait for the right opportunity because, you know, I was in a really fortunate position at Edge uh, in a dream job. Uh, so I wanted to wait for, for the right job once I'd thought, oh, you know what, actually maybe I'll I'll move it dev side and, and get involved in that. And I wanted to be somewhere where I felt like I could immediately contribute. I didn't want to just <laughs> try and walk in and be like, maybe I can develop a video game. Um, because <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I wasn't entirely sure I could. I'd done a lot of like little hobbyist kind of things, mm. but you know, it's a there are maybe few entry points uh, to to specifically that side of things. So yeah, I just sort of thought, oh, I'll, I'll wait around for something that seems like the right fit before I start, you know, putting out any feelers. Uh, and I would, you know, periodically check the Media Molecules job site. Uh, and then one day uh, a position for a content curator came up. And I thought, that sounds like something that I could actually do out the box. Uh, so I applied for that. And then uh, they got back to me, like, really swiftly, which immediately, oh, my God, that's crazy. Uh, and they said, it's great that you've applied for this position. Um, but actually, like, y- y- we're sort of thinking we might need someone in another position, a kind of, like, editorial person for Media Molecule to help kick that off at the studio. Do you want to just come and have a chat with us about what that might be? Uh, And so I did that. And I immediately had this kind of pitch, right, where Hmm. I'd been playing Dreams for a while at this point. Uh, It had been like officially like full release for several months. And I'd really sort of identified it as as this amazing, you know, kind of like hobbyist platform with all of these like short form wild indie games. Uh, you would really have to dig uh, to find them uh, sort of in that first like nine months or so uh, from the proper release. But I enjoyed doing that, you know, and I was finding like some of these like really great little gems. And I was like, wow, you know, after a game releases, the kind of media cycle around it moves on, right? There's other things to cover. There's other releases to cover. And, you know, you want updates or something to bring that back into the to the media cycle. So no, there were there were few places, you know, regularly writing about dreams and almost none fully dedicated to what weird indie releases are happening in dreams. Uh, mm. And I thought, oh, well, you know, if Emma wanted to invest in something like that, that's a that's a dream job. It's basically getting to look at this this indie platform all day and like write these little kind of bite size uh, odes to them and, and explain to people what is actually worth playing and and looking at maybe and why. Yeah. So that was kind of like the conversation we had in this first interview. And they liked the idea, too. That like they saw like there could maybe be a lot of merit in it. And that just sort of happened. And that was very surreal. Um, so that is sort of what I do nowadays is uh, basically I started up my own little blog on uh, Media Molecules sort of like game adjacent site <laughs> that like links with the game itself. Um, mm. And I sort of spend my days like looking for all these like curiosities essentially and and really short form indie games made by hobbyist devs um and sort of Mm. explain why they're worth people's time why what i really like about it is often you associate you know things which are coming out of a studio you'd expect them to be very kind of safe and Mm. neat and corporate i guess Mm. and actually you've absolutely like maintained your own voice in the same way actually that i think like the minecraft guys with their minecraft blog right you know tom stone our former staff writer ended up there being 
really fucking funny you're on there being really fucking funny and you're like how awesome is this that these awesome funny mag people got to be like the big voice of these products or a voice of these products in this way oh well that's super generous um but yeah like it's really fun again like i was very careful about what i would leave edge for and i'd say probably there's very few like maybe triple a games right that i would go to work on Mm. and like dreams was just it just felt like like the perfect fit for the thing that i had identified through my career that i am good at and that i massively massively enjoy which is uh like you know pulling out these like strange hidden gems made by like really interesting people and trying to get them in front of people yeah for sure like um, how does curation work with a platform like dreams jen how do you build those relationships with the developers who are creating games since inside dreams wow i mean it yeah it's wild because dreams is is this huge thing i feel like you know anyone listening to this who's who's heard of dreams uh, which is essentially a sort of like game engine uh, that is gamified in many ways to encourage creation. But, you know, also at the same time, you don't have to create anything at all. There's uh, like just infinite stuff to play. Curation is is kind of a new thing. So it was, you know, that sort of curator job that I applied for. That was the first time that MM was like, hey, uh, maybe we should get in people to actively curate in-game rather than sort of leaving it up to like automatic feeds uh we should get people to put certain things on the front page and curate playlists Hmm. and so it's not just me like writing about stuff which i suppose is one form of curation you know putting together magazines and things like that the things that we do and have done that's one Hmm. form of curation but we also have two dedicated curators uh ali and jacob who i work with sort of alongside every day we're sort of a little curation module they actually work on the using the back end of the game to group together in like fun and interesting and inviting ways all these different experiences and lay them out on a front page to try and get them in front of like players faces essentially it is a wild process what i would say is like it's it's lots like a magazine right where you you there's kind of this voice that you want for like dreams as a platform or as a publication uh and you're kind of looking to foreground things that really align with those those core values right um Mm. so for dreams it's like uh hey it's great to put like really polished hyper realistic stuff on the front page because that really connects with people people like to see things they're kind of familiar with but also for us a huge part of curation and a huge part of like what us three are really passionate about are like really new novel experiences that are maybe only possible in dreams or are from people who wouldn't really normally do game development but have access to it through this tool and are making like super weird like fringe stuff so it's it's kind of like this mix of of serving all these different audiences whilst also going okay we want to represent the kind of free spiritedness of mm and what we think like dreams should be um you know we want to represent polished stuff but we also want to represent stuff that's rough around the edges um we want to represent stuff where we know there's kind of human stories behind it that shine through and it's just mixing all that together in a way that's exciting this kind of variety grab bag of stuff when people look at the front page and playlists what i would say is i've uh, i've actually written a probably too long gamedeveloper.com article uh that goes it's a, it's a very top line view really but of like how we do approach curation which is 
right, this kind of new activity. It's been around uh, just about over a year now officially at MM. But yeah, that article has a, a bunch more stuff in it if uh, anyone is interested in learning a little bit more about uh, that beyond what I've just yeah, said. Cool. I will link that article in the uh, show notes as well. Oh, uh, not show much. notes this week, um, uh, but it's uh, it's worthwhile, I think. Um, yeah, I, th- I think um, it's that's why it seemed like such a good fit for you, the job, just like, because you just had that whole thing of championing stuff that you thought was important via Edge. And so going into a platform where there's this massive variety of stuff to be curated, it does feel like spot on for the type of editor you were. So I can see why it was um, really appealing to do it, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was but, um, It was super yeah. exciting. I know you had a bit of your question where you were like, oh, how do you build relationships with developers? Hmm. Like to that, I would just say that like MM has like this real reputation for being super close with its community we've obviously like hired people from the community before we have tons of people who uh at this well i say tons we have some people at the studio who like maybe like started out with little big planet and are now like mm developers you know how great is that yeah so good at your favorite game you get to work (laughs) on your favorite game it's great right like that's the dream and we've hired like even more people than that from from the dreams community i suppose jen like uh, can you tell us a bit about how dreams has been updated since release why is now a good time to jump in you mentioned they're like um creations like a year old kind of project i guess but like um yeah for, for people who kind of want to layer the land of the game now like why is now a good time to jump in yeah, for sure. And we've covered it, but curation, I would say, is a really big thing. The the access to the data we have behind the game, like, it's, like, really massively, like, increased engagement and stuff. People are really, it looks like finding the kind of, like, uh, quality stuff they really want to play. And, like, it's just really changed the face of dreams. If, if the last time you logged in was, like, 2020 or, you know, around that area or even before that, I cannot express to you how much that like front page of, you know, we call it dream surfing, basically the place where you go and play all the games. I can't express to you how much that has changed uh, and become sort of tidied up and tweaked to appeal to a greater range of uh, sensibilities and really produce uh, or platform some of the best stuff. We have like a daily dream surf now that is like, it's basically like five great things that we found whether they're games or like pieces of music or pieces of art or whatever that's in the dream of us we've hand selected we do that every day and it refreshes every day like it's fantastic and if you play them it kind of it takes them out of the little list so there's this lovely little meta game that uh, Jacob and Ali have developed with that where you can kind of like tick off these five things for the day you know and it might take you like well, half an hour to play through them all and you've had a really good slice of just like a variety of like really great stuff that's interesting for different reasons. Um, that's just one example of like a way in that we provide now where it's you're not just overwhelmed anymore by like, oh, what do I do? Do I search, you know, Shrek and <laughs> try and figure out whether there's anything interesting from the search thing? Um, you know, did you say search Shrek? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, there's some there's some wild stuff. There's some wild stuff. Of course, we're not allowed to sort of like platform any of that stuff, but it tends to be like <laughs> wild meme shit posts. Um, <laughs> that is just obviously not really a, like a crazy experience. But if you want to go and like search something completely random and and sort of vibe through all of that, um, you totally can. Um, it's just mm. like you know the front page is kind of like the refined and <laughs> yeah. 
version of that. But you can, you can go off the beaten path if you want to vibe with some dank Shrek memes. If you really <laughs> want to vibe with some dank Shrek memes, you know that is entirely your jurisdiction. Uh, I, I will say some wild stuff comes on the front page because, you know, oh, we, we so. love some weird shit posts. We really do. It's just, you know, we also don't want lawyers to come after us. <laughs> So, you know, Shrek, maybe another life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's that. And that is such a huge thing, especially if you just want to get in and play, which is totally fine. Uh, I feel like a lot of people think of dreams and they're like, oh, I've got to be, I've got to, you know, be using the creative tools and making my own things. And it's all about that. Um, and it really can just treat it like an itch or like, a, you know, the site, not the medical condition right. um, uh, but you know you can treat it like an itch.io you can you can treat it like warrior where you can dip in and be like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna play half an hour of dreams and just see what's on the front page today and if anything sort of catches my fancy i, I challenge you like uh, once you're in the rabbit hole it's so hard to get out because there's so much stuff but you know if you are into creation um there was a really great update recently uh, that also included a whole new game uh, called Ancient Dangers, which is a, a really nifty little dungeon crawler. Um, feels really nice game feel. I wrote a little bit on that. It was quite fun. But uh, along with that, uh, some like tutorials came in for uh, essentially like templates. So it's like, hey, if you want to make a mini golf game, here's like a tutorial, like step by step, like guided, of like showing you like where to put stuff and how to connect up this logic and things like that. And we sort of provide the kits and, and hold your hand through it if you need that. And, and that's really useful, giving people a sort of wiping away like the blank page syndrome a little bit and being like, hey, there's the, we've got varying levels of sort of like games in completeness uh, and step-by-step mm-hmm. tutorials for that stuff. Uh, we're not just going, okay, work out how to make this on your own. You made, you you turned one of your actual dreams into a uh, dreams project the other day. I did recently. Yeah. And I was really like surprised and like super flattered by the reaction to it because it was literally something I spent like maybe a couple hours doing. I think I was listening to Backpage Pod while I was doing it. <laughs> I just got oh, into sculpt mode. Nice. And the thing about dreams I think people like uh, maybe aren't aware of is that you don't have to make anything from scratch if you don't want to. I made this little scene basically that is sort of like a kind of like a stone coliseum with some like nice water and like a pirate ship in it and these like lovely cherry blossom trees and there's falling cherry blossom. It took me like you know, like an hour or two to knock up and I'm very slow at this stuff um, because I had this dream of like <laughs> I had an actual dream and I was like I'm going to recreate this because it was the rare nice dream I have where things are beautiful and my teeth aren't falling out of my head. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so, but the thing is, it's like I don't have to sculpt a million cherry blossom trees. I don't have to sculpt like Colosseum stonework or like make a ship. I literally just uh, bring up the little search bar when I'm in sculpt mode in dreams and I just go ship and then I stamp in a ship with like the X button and then I go cherry blossom tree and then I stamp it in and then I go falling cherry blossoms and I stamp them in and then I go "Mm, sunset lighting and like someone's made that already and it's in the dreamverse and I stamp it in uh and then I I, you know like the cloning thing for dreams so like once I've got my cherry blossom tree that someone else has spent their valuable time making because they enjoy that I can't be asked, so I'll just use that. And then it's like, I think it's like L1 and the right trigger. And that's just like the instant clone shortcut. And you just, you know, you use emotion controls and you just pop them around the seam. And it's literally that easy. 
And I feel like people feel this real pressure to like, oh, well, if I'm going to do it, I should make everything from scratch myself. And it's just like, nah, just pop on a podcast and just like use other people's assets. And you can see from the reaction, like I posted, you know, a tweet of it and me walking through it because you can just stamp in a puppet and possess the puppet. And suddenly you're walking around your space in first person. You can do it in VR because (laughs) Dreams has this VR mode. Um, It's all made for you because Dreams has been out like uh you know between i think like beta and early access probably like four or five years now <laughs> Every, right. everyone's done a lot of stuff already <laughs> and you can just use it and the best thing is that the community is so not gatekeepy i posted that which is basically just made out of other people's assets and the game automatically credits it in the game and the community's like this is so cool. Like, I love how you've arranged all this stuff. Like, you've got some, like, level design chops. And I'm like, I'm just stamping stuff in and choosing where to put it. And, you know, thinking about the design that I came up with when I was unconscious and snoring. Um, but- They're all like, needs more Shreks. <laughs> They're like, mm, where is Shrek in a leather suit twerking or whatever the TikTok <laughs> move is. Um, they're like, mm. but the, the thing is, is, and I do not advocate this, but, like, you, if they want to put Shrek in it, they can remix it and they can do that because I chose to make my scene remixable. Um, so the nice thing is that uh, the community who are just so sweet about it and they're like, oh, I love your scene. Like, it's so cool. Then they take it and they're like, I'm going to put my little character in it and run it around and like send Jen a screenshot of like this little like pop character I made, <laughs> like running around with this little <laughs> uh, green sprout head jiggling about running around her dream or I'm going to remix it and, you know, I've had people using, like, the same assets I have but, like, putting them in different configurations. So this this literal dream I had in my head is now spreading and, and morphing and uh, it, it's fascinating and it's lovely. Um, and, yeah, I would just say, you know, it, if, if you're kind of down with that idea, like, just give it a go. I think Dreams is on sale quite often for about, a tenor <laughs> and and it, like it's such a great thing to stick on if you're listening to a podcast and go you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna stamp in some trees for a bit and make it look nice and uh yeah it's nice it's very zen it's a very zen experience mm. sometimes <laughs> what sorts of projects made by the people who have blown you away uh doing your role uh, oh, Jen? yeah i mean we just need a whole separate podcast at this point so what i will say <laughs> is uh so my job is to write a blog like full of all these recommendations and hopefully if uh you know you're the sort of person who listens to the back page pod and you enjoy sort of magazine style written japes you will enjoy it if you just google uh the impsider it's like insider but with imp in it because that is a dreams and media molecule thing so it's called the impsider and like every week i write a roundup of like the five like coolest things i've seen in dreams Uh, that week and played and like why they're maybe worth your time there's little buttons that take you straight to the game if you're like logged in on your dreams account as well go there for a million recommendations but i'll 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 give you some like great weird ones that i really enjoy uh that just are fun to talk about so uh the thing that won uh like the the big creation of the mp uh creation of the year at this year's like mp awards uh, which is our award show we do for community creators, <laughs> and it's crazy. Um, the thing that won uh, is something called the Idyllium, and it's essentially like a walkable virtual art gallery just filled with like bizarre abstract sculptures and paintings. Normally, 
museums are kind of like these blank slates, right? That you just put stuff in and, and their job is to be a blank slate. And this place is like alive. And so as you kind of walk around, it, it kind of unfolds like as you move through it and like new wings appear and like certain art like reacts to your presence. It's crazy. Like it's like it's got some real edgy stuff in there. <laughs> um, and it, it's it's absolutely amazing. I I would hugely recommend that if you're kind of like a, a, a muso interested in that sort of stuff. Um, it's got a real sense of humor to it as well. It's really surreal, mm-hmm. kind of like Dali-esque stuff. <laughs> That's amazing. It's from one of the creators, one of the three creators who made it uh, and is showcasing their art in it is, is this guy called uh, Beavis 2. <laughs> I believe he's an architect in real life. And uh, before this, he made uh, something similar, which is kind of this like gallery space called a uh, house of House of Beavis. Um, uh, but that is kind of like a, a horror. What an egomaniac. <laughs> it's literally it's wild, but like it's weird because it's not actually about this guy. It's it's sort of about like from what I can tell and from what like this this person's uh, sort of description of it sort of about like this repressed housewife and this like place is sort of this figment of her like imagination and like repressed energy and it's like it's horrifying they're like you go through and you think it's just a gallery and then you know while the idyllium is this place that like maybe unfolds and like sort of with you uh, this earlier thing that was like real edgy and great is like wild like all this like horrifying stuff starts to happen where these like you'll get locked in rooms and the statues will sort of like move and talk at you and all these like super surreal clips of of like old tv shows and stuff like that like there's just like a huge fire at one point it's mad like i would recommend checking that out something that you two might enjoy or like uh, a creator who i really enjoy that you two might enjoy uh it's a creator called venwave um, and they make these awesome kind of games with like what I would describe as like, you know, like weird PS1 vibes, like, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. kind of like Japan studio stuff where it's like quite wholesome, but also like kind of fuzzy around the edges um, and like kind of like lovable jank and like wild colors and shapes uh um, but with like these beautiful hearts, like very loco roco, hmm. but like through the lens of like uh, like smeary kind of N sixty four graphics. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, they've got a game called Drag Flower to the Exit, which is amazing. You you play as this kind of little seed, and you're sort of three D platforming through this like very sort of like a kit bashed kind of colorful ps1-esque world uh, and you're sort of growing at each stage and the music is kind of growing with you and like there's this beautiful emotional conclusion it's very indie uh, and the same creator also made this incredible like interactive theme park slash concert called flow world uh, which has this like almost Tamagotchi-esque UI <laughs> where the the kind of these colorful shapes like always in your periphery that you kind of like see everything through. And it's like real chaotic. And I think you kind of you kind of have to have this like a little bit of a tolerance for, uh, you know, like like kind of purposefully rough edges. Right. But if you're that kind of person that enjoys kind of like diving through itch and like takes that as part of the experience with like these kind of like a theme park slash concert. <laughs> um where you play as like this weird little mosquito character running around like 
you're going to love that kind of stuff. Um, and there's this amazing interactive kind of alien reproductive simulator <laughs> with like mm. fantastic sort of like Lynchian lighting and it's called Is It Love? And the goal is to sort of create the optimal conditions for alien life for these two aliens wow. that you're sort of controlling and <laughs> doing this amazing sort of underwater like dance together. Uh, and you're trying to like set, set the mood lighting essentially and the flow in such a way that they will be inspired <laughs> to create a little alien child. Um, there's so much of this stuff. If you're after really polished stuff, um, there's something called Trips Voyage. I don't know if either of you will have seen this floating around Twitter. It got some traction. I might have done. I might ring a bell this one actually. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's very. It basically looks like the love child of like a rare and a Nintendo game, and it's like it's it's quite far from like Dreams House style. You know, um, it's very like tight graphics, really clean edges. Like a really skilled creator called Euphalace has made this, and yeah, it's this very very polished 3D platformer. Um, where you're kind of this little uh, orange cat jumping around and uh, collecting bells uh, through these like tropical and uh, worlds. And that's sort of in development. There's a couple of levels out and it's the overworld is incredibly polished. Like the whole thing is like astounding. I honestly, I was like, this person is a Nintendo staffer in disguise. I was just looking at looking it up on my phone as you talked. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, that looks crazy. It's like you have to play it to just feel how like spot on it is to like those references. Like I, you know, obviously like it takes heavily takes sort of inspiration from a lot of that like era of uh, 3D platformers. Um, but I think the fact that they've managed to recreate it and then sort of display this incredible understanding of what makes like a really interesting and uh, like curiosity inspiring like 3D level. Um, Mm. Like it's not just, you know, they do so much with it on top of it that is like really, it's just not them just chomping someone's flavor. Like this is a really skilled game developer. Yeah, Um, that's great. uh, It's fantastic. I tell you what, I will end with... um, uh matthew you really must play this sammy seal the sky high potato murder um because it, it i've i think i've seen might, footage of this on twitter seen this like honestly it's really worth your time um it, it's by a creator called jimmy cultist uh and it is uh just a, a classic sort of detective sleuth em up um and it's it's a decent length i would say i probably give you about like 45 minutes to an hour like depending on like how thorough you are and there's really different levels of thoroughness first off it looks amazing like they've got this like cell shaded 3d style down uh that Mm. is unlike anything else you're kind of going to see in dreams uh the character design is is just incredible just sort of like partially kind of cuphead e (laughs) um it's wild uh just these sort of like strange like insect animal humanoid things um and uh you just go around and you you look for clues as to uh this uh this this murder that's taken place and it's kind of got uh, an element of paradise killer to it funnily enough where it's uh it's quite open ended uh you get this like poirot scene when you're ready to go to the parlor essentially and you can right. choose to accuse who you want to accuse based on the evidence that you found or may have not found um and there's like you know a canon ending for every single thing that you do um so there's you know you can i've gone back and and played it more times because i'm like i'm not sure i got the whole story because there's various sort of like little scenes between characters that maybe play out if you collect evidence Mm. in a certain order it's really involved um 
yeah, it's a banger. Like, I think that's a, spe- wow. a real specific recommendation for you there <laughs> based on yeah. on some of the, the likes we have in common. I'll list a bunch more of these in the show notes, Jen. Um, I'll, um, I'll, I'll list all those. Bless you. Like, oh, there's so much. And yeah, again, if I can just plug the Impsider. Like, if you're ever like, huh, actually, I don't really know what there is to play in Dreams. There's so much. If you, you know, if you really like that kind of short form hobbyist stuff, the the quality astounds me every day i know i'm biased but like there's a reason i wanted to come work here and i'm proved right every single day it's a it's an absolute joy <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah your uh your, your passion definitely uh, comes through for sure <laughs> thank you thank you so much for your time jen i like um I, I was just gonna wrap up by asking what you're playing at the moment just like uh i'm assuming games still a massive <laughs> part of your life beyond dreams but like yeah. um yeah what, what's uh what's currently spinning for you yeah obviously i play a lot of dreams uh, <laughs> uh but it's really interesting <laughs> like i was thinking about it uh, you know, I play a lot of indie games still. I used to play a lot of indie games on Edge as well. Um, but I feel like Dreams really scratches a lot of that itch for me, you know, um, that really like short form sort of, uh, you know, super novel stuff. Uh, so I'm actually mm. sort of playing more AAA titles than like I may used to before. Um, so uh, I've been really into it. That's okay. There's no shame in that. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh. You're among friends here. You're really dirty. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I've actually, you know this thing called Elden Ring and everyone's into it and also I'm into it and now I don't feel special um (laughs) it's so good have you two played any more since you did your kind of episode I know you did a follow-up where you were like oh I'm kind of at the point where I'm bouncing off have either of you gone back uh I've not to my great shame I know I feel terrible um I I plan to but not currently Yeah, it's, I will. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've got to clear the backlog a little bit, then I will go back to it, you know. I'll circle back. Oh, I'm having such a good time with it. And I, like, I've slowed down, I think, from my initial rush and then being like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. I just want to mainline it. I think maybe you guys covered this, but there's a bit of a pressure when everyone else is doing it and finishing it. And you're like, oh my God, like, I'm miles off the pace. Uh, so I'm trying to be mm. nice about that. Uh, but I think I'm going to finish it. I think it might take me until the end of the year, but I think I'm going to finish it. <laughs> like, And this is wild. I don't think I've ever finished a FromSoft game. Um, wow, yeah. So, it's like yeah. the longest one as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What a way to start. And I'm already thinking about like, right, I've got to go back and I've got to finish Dark Souls 3 and I've got to finish Bloodborne. And yeah, wild. So that that has been like, discovering that's been like a real lease of life for me this year like oh my god i'm into from soft games who knew uh watching <laughs> awesome. watching varty video law videos and all sorts of shit who am i oh my word no. this is like very you though to like get into something and then get into it like big time really like into it. yeah and just yeah. be talking everyone's ear off about it that's that's definitely that <laughs> i like i feel yeah i feel like i've been kind of aligned with Backpage pod in that when you guys sort of go on about something i'm like right i'll give that a go i'm most of the way through ghostwire yeah it's all right i think i i went into it with the expectation of like it's gonna be like a seven out of ten you know fun kind of mm. elden ring cooler offer um so yeah. yeah i've been i've been enjoying sort of noodling around that you know open world game as it is uh i've started kirby massively enjoying that um i'm very early on banger and like based on what you said on the pod as well it's like i'm definitely getting to that ending um (laughs) uh, and another thing probably the last thing and like a real highlight of this year for me and another source of shame is that i i hadn't finished disco elysium properly i started it on pc like ages ago when the big hype around it came out and it was like okay this is fucking amazing obviously i have to 
try it. I think I got about maybe 10 hours in on PC and just sort of left it. Um, But it came out on Switch and I finished that maybe like a month or so ago. Holy Mm. shit. It's it's one of the best things I've ever played in my life. Like, it's so good. I think people bounce off it and I can understand why, but it is... Oh my God, it's so good. I finally understand why everyone bangs on about it so much. It's so good. <laughs> I can't believe it took me wow. that long to push through on it. Um, I'm just I'm just too boring to play Disco Elysium. <laughs> I feel like Disco Elysium, if it met me in real life, it would think I was scum. Oh, God. Because it's just, I, like, in its political ideas, I am just everything <laughs> Well, have it seems. Have you got to any of those parts of the game where it starts calling you on that stuff? Because it is fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just such a fence sitter, and it, and it, it like, soar into my soul. <laughs> it's so good. But if you, if you, you know, instead of, like, walking away in shame which you know i think i also got like boring cop and sorry cop at various points into my yeah, job. i yeah. was like oh my god i i really am an equivocator i'm a moralist or whatever you know if you really sort of take the hints that it's giving you like even on the on the loading screens where it's like hey you should try being weirder because people automatically sort of respect people in positions of authority like you cop if you start to take it seriously and you're like right okay i'm going to do more stuff where i feel like I could potentially be fucking this up. Um, like, it really starts to blossom. I, I I feel like they've intentionally designed to where you bump up against, you know, some of that stuff where it's like, oh, sorry, cop, oh, boring cop. And, and I think they put mm-hmm. that early on so that then you go, right, okay, fuck you, I'll show you who's boring. <laughs> and then you actually start <laughs> to play the game proper and you start to see, like, the wilder stuff that can happen. Like, you know, like, I, I died from, like, sitting on a chair wrong. I, like, almost <laughs> shot a child at one point. Um, I think you can do that, which is, like, crazy. But, like, I, I don't know. This is probably not a great pitch. But, like, <laughs> it really is brilliant. <laughs> it really is oh, brilliant. The promise of child I know. <laughs> and, like, maybe it seems quite dark and, like, you know, very heavily into, like, it's, like, political theory and stuff. And it is. But uh, I, what I would say without spoiling the end is it's really beautiful it it manages to come to this really beautiful conclusion it sort of ends up being this treatise on uh the core friendship of you know like kim kitsuragi and uh the detective whose name is different depending on what you do and it's sort of this very human story of of who am i and like here's me in all my like <laughs> kind of shambling glory even though it's like very imperfect and like basically can i still make a friend and make a difference in spite of that um which is maybe not where you expect it to go um but it's it's really beautiful and really meaningful because obviously that game allows you to really sort of create your own personal character i think it sort of single-handedly unpacked a lot of my own uh like hang-ups about uh doing things correctly and not failing because that game is all about like failing in style and <laughs> and how good that can be um, and how people <laughs> like will love you anyway, and you can still get shit done anyway, uh, even if it's kind of messy. Which like is weird, right? You might not expect that. <laughs> yeah, aspirational, really. Like especially with a print media background, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to uh, the lovely, the lovely Chris Schilling about this. He's uh, Edge's current deputy editor because I think he still has yet to to tick off that game and I was like you really must play it because like it's really it's really helped me grapple with my own 
uh, <laughs> worries around failure. Um, and uh, he was like, oh, yeah, like, oh, maybe, like, I could play a game about, like, feeling like a fuck up, which, you know, <laughs> I feel like if you work in a high pressure situation like Edge, <laughs> maybe it's, like, therapeutic. <laughs> Even though, of course, yeah. he is a superstar, the kind of superstar who uh, will never acknowledge it. <laughs> good old Chris. Bless him. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's a, a good spread of stuff, Jen. And, like, to be honest... Um, a scary amount of like um, uh, sort of specific references to this podcast and episodes <laughs> of this podcast. Like, I'm genuinely delighted by the level of research done there. That's, um, that's yeah. good. Oh gosh, we've honestly, had, we've had some guests on who are like, "And which one are you?" <laughs> I mean, yeah, you say research, but it's it's just me probably sitting in my pants, recreating my dreams, listening to you. You know, talk about <laughs> Kirby. <laughs> it's it's uh it's it, cool. it's nothing it's nothing super in depth. It's it's just me. It's just me hanging out. Um, which is uh yeah, lots of fun. Keep making the podcast. Uh, you got to now. Oh, there's, the st- there's there's stakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I really really appreciate your your time though, Jen. Um, like massively. Um, appreciate you talking us through your career and um your current work. Like it's really really cool. Um. Is that where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so I, I'm usually for my sins on Twitter. Uh, that is at it's Jen Sim, and mm. that's where I'm. I'm. I can normally be found posting, posting my life away. So I mean, that's a that's as good a place as any to find me. Um, I've obviously plugged my little blog enough. Um, there's also my email. The Impsider. The imps- one more time. The Impsider. You know, louder for the people at the back. Yep. So uh, you can get me there. There's also my uh, my Media Molecule email in my bio on Twitter. So if you do want to like talk about anything to do with dreams, come on over. Like, give us a shout. We always like talking to people about uh, like our, our our weird, cool game engine platform thing. Um, so you know be nice to chat to people if you ever want any pointers on <laughs> on what to to play or check out in dreams like i i'm at your disposal uh i'm very happy Brilliant. to do that <laughs> that's, that's um wonderful yeah so um dreams is like as jen says often on sale on playstation store so um yep uh go uh, go check that out it's um it won't cost you much and you, you'll have more to play than you'll ever have time to play so that's um <laughs> that's really cool um matthew where can people find you on social media mr basil underscore pesto i'm samuel w roberts and this podcast is um uh, supported by patreon uh, patreon.com slash backpage pod uh, where um, we make a, a moderate amount of money, then offer our guests money. We offer Jen money, and she said no, but that's <laughs> that's fine. That's her prerogative. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, um, this podcast will be back next week. So uh, thank you very much for listening, and um, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.